For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And the mail this morning concurs with me with regards to the weekend weather. They're talking about an Indian summer for Ireland and a sizzler for the rugby stars because while we get maybe 19, 20, 21 degrees, uh, certainly parts of the weekend anyway, if not the whole weekend, uh, a heat wave across Europe will see Paris sizzling at 26 degrees uh, on Saturday as the Irish rugby team face Scotland in the final game of the World Cup pool. So um, certainly uh, heating up as we head across the back end of the week and across the weekend, they're calling it an Indian summer. We'll take that, wouldn't we? Just even talking about Indian summers is nice. And talking about things going up, uh, the budget for next week uh, continues to dominate some some of the front and inside pages with the Independent reminding us, because some of it is like a carbon copy from yesterday. A 12% rise in the pensions is now on the card. So social welfare increases across the board of at least €12 a week. A lump sum payment uh, of the fuel allowance. These are at the centre of the budget negotiations to help those that need it most. There'll be a double payment of all welfare rates in the lead up to Christmas is expected. That's kind of become the norm now in the in the last number of years, hasn't it? The double payments, well, for longer than a number of years, to be honest. And then some revenue raising measures, uh, particularly for those that go out to work, there will be a slight increase in PRSI. There will be an excise hike on the fags, which means that cigarettes... Somebody sent me a text yesterday saying, what are you talking about? A 20-pack of major light... Uh, are now 20 euro. Uh, sorry, a 25 pack of major light are now 20 euro. Firstly, I didn't know that they still made major. Secondly, I didn't even know that you could get uh, a major light. I thought that major was gone from years and years ago. But obviously, it's a cigarette brand that stood around. But yeah, but a 25 pack of major light, for instance, if they get what they want, and that's one euro for every cigarette. A 25 pack would cost you 25 euro. But anyway, there are other um, little nuggets with regards to the budget that may well come back to. They're talking about keeping their pension age at the age of 66, for instance. They're talking about a total of a 1.1 billion euro tax package. Welfare rates going up, as I say, and all different double payments. And possibly a cut in that very cruel and evil universal social charge. Let me remind you again, the many Many, many years ago, that was only supposed to be a temporary tax. But of course, there's no such thing as a temporary tax. So all of that and lots more besides to mull over ahead of next week's budget. Uh, we had a, a we had a, a prison, then they built a bigger one, a total state-of-the-art prison. But yet we have 10 inmates in Cork Prison who actually technically have no bed nor cell to themselves. So they're sleeping on mattresses on the floors of their cellmates because the actual hospital, pardon me, the actual prison is continuing to be overcrowded. I mean, it's at 102% capacity. I think I can remember some time back ago, long ago when it was even higher than 102% capacity, but it certainly seems to be struggling and bursting at the seams. Is it that there are just too many people being sent to jail? Um, well, uh, your thoughts on that are welcome as to whether or not there should be more community service. Text 0868104106. But in the world that we live in, if you look at AI and development in technology, right, which is racing ahead with all sorts of new inventions coming out pretty much every day. If you took your passport and took everybody's passport, right, because this is going to happen in the UK, it could possibly happen here. So everybody that has a passport has a photograph on the passport. So all of that then is digitally stored. Agreed? Yes, it is. So then you take every single uh, CCTV camera, every single doorbell camera, every single piece of dash cam technology and everything that's recorded in the societies we walk around these days, traffic cameras, all sorts of stuff like that, that can see your face. 
they are going to match in the UK the database of 45 million people and they will use their passport database to match it up, to catch things like shoplifters, burglars, car, bike thieves. Um, and this is deemed to be, you know, people involved in criminality. They will be able to use facial te- recognition to match the photograph on your passport. And you're done. Uh, so I suppose for, for people who aren't breaking the law and going about their business correctly, nothing to fear. Or is there? Would it also be used and is it being abused to track every single movement of your life and every aspect of what you do and where you go, where you spend your money, how you socialise and all of the things that really technically should be very private. Uh, there's another one of the welfare stories making the papers today. It's, it's sad when you see stories like this. It's uh, checks for a blind welfare allowance which were being sent to an elderly woman in Cork were still being cashed every month for up to 19 months after she died. Uh, I spoke yesterday unconnected to this story with regards to, um, you know, a clampdown on welfare fraud of different forms uh, and it totaled to a a huge sum of money actually when it totaled up all of the different investigations with regards to claims for things that weren't entitled. But this is a Cork story that was before Judge Olin Kelleher yesterday uh, and the fact of the matter was that Margaret Quilligan died in 2016 at the age of 72 but the welfare payments were still being paid out and cashed until... 2018. Uh, so for 19 months, there was an eight months suspended sentence given um, with respect to, to two counts before the court yesterday to the daughter of uh, uh, Mrs. Quillen, Mrs. Quilligan, uh, uh, Teresa Quilligan from uh, Mount Joseph's Road. It's a sad old story. The overall loss to the HSC was just over five grand. I think there are attempts to pay back some of the money. Uh, but it, um, it's another example of issues that go on when people pass away. God knows it's not the first time we've had stories like that in a course about people passing away, but yet pensions still being drawn. There was a really huge one on Lee side there a few years back, I think where the mam and dad had passed away. Other stories, well, you know, we were expecting the start of the Ashling Murphy murder trial to beginning in court this week, but it would appear that the trial now of the man charged with murdering the school teacher will be in two weeks' time. Joseph Pushka, um, with uh, an address up in County Offaly, is accused of murdering her in uh, Tullamore on the 12th of January of last year. Um, and uh, it was listed to begin today, but that's the only thing I can tell you about that. A couple of weeks' time, and, and of course, there'll be very big interest in that story. And then you have a 72-year-old described as a voracious sexual predator who cannot be named for legal reasons. It's a Cork story, and the sentencing happened in Cork yesterday. Um, They would have thought, I suppose, that he was a kindly uncle, but he was actually sexually abusing three of his nieces nieces for a decade. He's 72, and he was jailed yesterday for 18 years. Now, interestingly, the judge said that um, he mightn't even survive the sentence given his advanced age, and he said that the sentence might be regarded as harsh, but he noted the offending took place um, over the course of a decade and involved three children, and hence the harsh sentence uh, of 18 years. And then we have a lot of stories, not necessarily unrelated to what I've been talking about in this programme with you guys over the past number of weeks. One is nursing home care, of course. Uh, And I was telling you yesterday about Appery Living Nursing Home in Belgooley, which will close uh, and will close in the coming weeks, October 24th. And the residents are still high and dry 
when it closes in three weeks' time as to where all of the residents will actually go. It's a front pager from the examiner this morning. While the Echo then talk about the Before Five Family Centre. It closed. It was a big story. We dealt with it on the air some weeks back. It's very unfortunate, though, um, that they didn't manage to get it across the line and get somebody to take it over and reopen it again in September. It won't now reopen until 2024. So you got 14 staff members out of work and you got 100 families in the area without childcare. And um, there was a thought or hope at the time that new management come in there. So it would continue with the new term in September. Sadly, didn't happen and doesn't look like it's going to reopen before uh, sometime next year. God knows when that will be. There's very interesting stories this morning with regards to customer service. And I will come back to this a little later on. But it's interesting to see because the report is out and there's a, it's kind of like a league table of about 250 Irish companies. The credit union comes out first. All Care Pharmacy comes out second. Power City comes out third. I don't know if, I don't think we have a Power City down here. Uh, Smith's comes fourth. Specsavers after that. Life Pharmacy, Leia, uh, Hickey's Pharmacies. The pharma- pharmacies do very well. Uh, a lot of them in the top ten. M&S come in at ninth and Dunn's come in at tenth. But RTE and the NCT are the worst because RTE are last in the entire survey of customer service satisfaction. Facebook are in there as well at the end. Ticketmaster are in there at the end. Ryanair, wouldn't you expect it? Sky, you'd kind of expect it. The NCT, you'd expect it. Stuff like that. So have a look at that a little later on this morning. But RTE is one of the most unpopular and least trusted companies in Ireland, according to the report. The poor result, I suppose, and the examiner puts it correctly, I think, on the front page this morning when they say it's in the wake of the Ryan Tuberty page scandal. But he's not the only reason that customers have given their distrust. The other reasons include the regular showing of repeats um, and issues with the RTE player. God knows we all have issues with the RTE player. Um, they, and there are other you know issues regarding that. Oh, and incidentally, did you know, I only found out yesterday that after 40 years in operation, RTE are shutting down Airtel. After 40 years, they're saying that technically it's becoming harder and harder to maintain it, which I think is a shame because people use it. Um, I think perhaps an older generation use it. It mightn't be as tech savvy with the old mobile phone. I know my father, God rest his soul, was a big fan of Airtel, watched the news on it. Also watched, uh, you know, he was very interested in finance and banking and stocks and shares and stuff like that. And it was all there on Airtel, uh, but gone after 40 years. Kind of sad, really, isn't it? Um, and then RT is suffering another hemorrhaging. Um, the Late Late Show's taken another nosedive in the ratings. Another 60,000 tuned out of Friday night's programme. I know it's got to bed down and you've got to give it time. But unfortunately, much of what's been happening with regards to the Late Late Show is not being well received. And a lot of it has to do with the calibre of the guests. Apparently, it's a lot more lighthearted. Um, he's a good host. He can be, he can be funny because that's his job. But yet you have another um, 60,000 people tuned out last Friday night program. And that's the story that makes this morning's Red Tops today. You know, you talk about technology. The car industry is saying that it would appear that there's been a, a, a kind of a, a drop in demand or softening in demand for electric vehicles. They're looking at the latest figures that have been released since uh, the back end of the summer. And they're saying that there's 20% fewer electric vehicles being registered last month compared to the same period last year. I suppose at some stage it has to level off, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, if you're, if you're interested in an electric car and you have the money, 
you're probably gone. Get one already. Many people, of course, me included, will hold off on those kind of things for another couple of years at least. And then don't you be worried at all about uh, the daily cup of tea uh, being in any way bad for your health because it's not. Um, and it is good for you because it's refreshing and it will revive you and it'll set you up for the day. And they're now saying that it could cut um, the chances of developing type 2 diabetes by about 28%. It has to do with all of the different beautiful ingredients in tea. Uh, so it's a lovely story, isn't it? And also talking about reviving things, as in reviving you with a cup of tea, how about reviving Live Aid and Band-Aid? Well, the plan is, and it's been signed off on, a West End musical about the legendary fundraiser Live Aid. Makes the red tops today and it's got the blessing of, um, um, of course it would have the blessing of Bob Geldof, but we mustn't forget that um, a co-organiser of that fundraiser back in the day was also Midge Ur, uh, Midge Ur, uh, the man from Ultravoxen. He sometimes gets forgotten about when we talk of the uh, success of Live Aid. But now they're making a West End musical and it will feature the music of U2, Paul McCartney, Elton John, David Bowie and Queen. Um, and it will, you know, also feature other aspects of the storyline about setting it up and the event itself and things like that. I think it will fly. I think it will be a huge success. Fingers crossed, you can never tell. And it will run for God knows how long, probably a long, long time at the Old Vic in London. And for those of us that are Fraser fans, I'm not sure of the date, but I know that it's in the next month or so that Fraser revived, comes back onto the screens with a brand new cast. Remember, uh, it will have Nicholas, Nicholas Lynnhurst, um, famous, of course, for many things, including Only Fools and Horses, as Fraser's best pal. He's gone back to Boston, but already the reviews are out. Some of the, um, uh, the TV and cinema and film reviewers have already got to see some of the previews. And if I was to sum it up, it's a thumbs down. Unfortunately, for us that are Fraser fans, it's a thumbs down. They're saying that Fraser is funny, uh, but that the rest of the cast is not. <laughs> If I was to sum it up, that's pretty much it. Fraser is funny, the rest aren't. And it kind of drags it down. Um, Jan Moore Moore in the uh, mail this morning um, has a paragraph and she says, um, how long, how how one longs while watching it, how one longs for Roz to tell him to stop being a big doily and pull himself together. But really, what one really longs for, most of all, is Niles. Um, and they're saying that without Niles and without Roz, it just ain't working. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Want to go to my phone lines and let me just say to you that some people may find uh, my conversation with both Ashley and her mother, Melissa, disturbing or upsetting. I'm just mentioning and for fear that you might get upset or disturbing because when it's uh, a story that uh, Claire has been working on um, for a, a while now and she was telling me the entire story yesterday and I found it upsetting. I can only imagine how Ashley and her mum, uh, Melissa, must feel. Ashley, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Melissa, how are you? Hi, Neil. How are you? Thank you both for coming on. It's not an easy thing to share. It's important, though. Um, Ashley, um, you can tell the story in your own words and take your time as long as you wish, right? Um, okay. And you were you were pregnant, very excited about I it. I was. Yeah. Yeah. You were absolutely yeah, over, my second child, over yeah. the moon with the prospect of it. Um, I, I think there was a bit of I think there was a bit of spotting of, of blood at one stage. Yeah, I had. Um, it would have been the Tuesday, the fifteenth of August. I had a bit of spotting, 
and it was nothing major now at all, you know, nothing to be concerned about whatsoever. But I said, I just didn't feel right in myself, so I wanted to ring the hospital just to kind of let them know and just to see what they say. So they told me to come up because of my blood type. I'm rhesus negative. And C-U-M-H. Yeah. C-U-M-H, yeah. yeah. So I went up there from y'all and I was in the waiting room. Obviously, whatever, I went in. Then Forgive me, then. did you go to the CMH or did you go to the A&E? No, I went to the, like the CUMH A&E. Good, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and um, I went in for a scan and it was a junior doctor that scanned me that time. But previously, but two weeks previous to that, I had a scan already up in the CUMH and all was fine at that point. So, I mean, I wasn't expecting anything, you know, I was expecting all to be fine again. So I went in for my scan. It was a junior doctor that was scanning me and she did reassure me now at the start. She said uh, that she wasn't fully trained kind of in doing early scans. So she said to me, if she didn't find anything, she told me not to panic. So she said she'd call a, like a senior doctor in. So she'd done the scan and there was no movement and she couldn't find the heartbeat. So she sent me back out into the waiting room and she... I was in there waiting maybe about a half an hour, 40 minutes in the waiting room for another doctor, the senior doctor to come and scan me. And then she brought me into another room with the junior doctor. She'd done an abdominal scan and then she'd done the transvaginal scan and confirmed again, basically, that there was no heartbeat and there was no movement. Oh, my God. You must have absolutely collapsed. I did, yeah, honestly. Were you on your own? Probably the worst thing. I was on my own, yeah. They wouldn't leave my partner in. Why is that? that? He was out in the waiting room. Why I'm not sure. Is that is norm? Is that normal protocol for a scan like that? I don't know. You see, because my son now he'll be six in December, so it was all different. Obviously, six years ago, you know. So I I don't know. I I, I don't know if it's still COVID. They're still taking COVID precautions or what. But my partner wasn't allowed in with me. They told him to wait in the waiting room. Because normally for scans like that, they're kind of happy, positive events and both partners would be in attendance, right? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Okay. So you were you were alone when this news was broken. Go go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the senior doctor wanted... It was kind of late in the evening on the Tuesday at that point, so she said the Ashton Suite have better um, machines and better scans and stuff. They were closed at that stage. So she told me not to worry that they're not the professionals. And they were, that was the word she used. She said, we're not the professionals. And I was kind of at that point, I was like, can you just tell me what's happening, please? You know, because I just wanted to know at that stage. And then she was trying to give me hope. And I, I was in two minds then, you know, I just wanted to know facts. At that point, so I can try wrap my head around it, you know. Of course. So yeah. I was sent home. And I was told to come back up on the Wednesday to go to the Ashton Suite for another scan. So how many days wait would that be before you go back? That was, it was the, the next day. The next day. How many yeah. weeks gone were you at this stage? Um, the scan I had previous to this now, the baby was measuring nine weeks. And I should have been between 12 and 14 weeks. So the baby was measuring smaller. So they told me to come back then for another scan two weeks later. But obviously I went up the following week because of the spotting. Okay. No, I was just curious, how many weeks into the pregnancy were you when they were telling you there was, they couldn't find a heartbeat? I should have been 12 weeks. 12 weeks. But the baby's gestational age was, at that point, was they were saying it was nine. Okay, so the baby was small, smaller than yeah. baby should have been. Yeah, okay. So, you, so the next day, you, you must have had a sleepless and a very worrying night then. 
Of course I did. I mean, my heart was in my mouth. I mean, it's the most gut-wrenching, kind of heartbreaking thing I think any woman could even go through, mm, you know? Mm, mm. Um, and I went up then and the next day and they confirmed, obviously, what we knew already. And it was actually the same senior doctor that was that scanned me the day before and told me she wasn't professional. She was the doctor then that was able, obviously professional enough to be able to talk to me about my options going forward and what my options were to... Okay, so know, there was another was scan knowledge. which confirmed no heartbeat yeah. the, on, the, on the Wednesday, the, the following day. So this was yeah. definite confirmation of no heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. And were you alone for that? Yeah, my partner was out in the waiting room again for that. I I, 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 I think we need to know why that is the case, particularly for 100%. the second I for mean, the second yeah. scan when, when we kind of when we kind of knew anyway, a hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like he should have been allowed been in to, to support me through it as well. You know. These are very special circumstances where you're getting confirmation. You don't want to get the confirmation, but you're potentially getting the confirmation of very, very bad and sad news. Yeah. You, you would need somebody with you. Sometimes it's the 100%. partner. Sometimes yeah. it could be your mother. Some, something. It could be. Yeah. Could have been Melissa. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what? What? You get some time to process it. Then I assume. Do you? Yeah. That was. We say the confirmation again would have been the Wednesday and I obviously had to go into a room again to be told my options and for me to decide what I wanted to pick. So I picked the medical management. Explain to us what um, that is. They basically, she gave me four tablets that day. She told me to take two in front of her that day and to bring two home. And that there would have been a bed, there would be a bed booked for me that coming Friday to go in and I'd have to stay in the hospital to obviously take the other two tablets to start the labour to to pass the baby. That's what those tablets do, is it? They they yeah, they, they bring on labour. Labour, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm listening. Go ahead. And we'll say I came home then the Wednesday and fast forward to Friday. I was due to go up. I was booked in for 12 o'clock so I was up there for 12. That would have been Friday the 18th of August. And um, I went in and the second I got into the room, there was a midwife there and the first, like, she was just very full on to me. The first thing she said to me, she was like, oh, she sat me down the bed and she was like, oh, is there young kids involved in this and do they know? And I said, yeah, my son, you know, he's five and a half. And um, she was like, oh, have you told him? And I said, no. I said, I don't know how, you know, I wasn't even processed in my own head at that point. I was like, I don't even know how you can tell a child, a young child, something like this, you know. And she turned around to me and she said, what you tell him now is you be straight to the point. She said, you tell him the baby got sick and the baby died. Well, uh, I could come up with a more compassionate way of putting it. A hundred percent. Yes, yes, yes. But I think that could have waited until afterwards. You know? I, I agree I with that, actually, Melissa. Yeah, I think there will be a time for that. Not now, not yeah. then, but at some stage. Okay, okay. And then, obviously, it was in my bed and they taught me that I would start to bleed and that when the bleeding happened, go into the bathroom and use bedpans and go to the toilet in the bedpans because she told me they would um, kind of check the bedpans to make sure that you you pass the baby and that you pass tissue, basically, you know, to obviously make sure that you pass it. Now, Melissa, your man was with you at this stage, yeah? My man was up with me in the hospital for the yeah, whole day. Yeah, I was there, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So go to the toilet, and use the bedpan, examine yeah. the bedpan. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And... 
obviously my labour started and I mean it was painful obviously um, I think see this is where my mum now will have to help me here because it's kind of, that's kind of a blur and it's, it's fine by me Melissa me. jumping in not a bother yeah well I mean I think you started labour around around kind of 8 o'clock and I think on about quarter Friday. past 8 on the Friday Friday evening she was in labour you know and so we rang the bell because um, the midwife told her we're just outside you know just give us a shout anytime you need us. So I rang the bell. Nobody came. I went out. There was nobody in the corridors. Now, I know that's a bad time for, don't they deal with handovers or, you know, they, the staff change or whatever. But there was nobody around. And she was in labour. And I couldn't do anything to help her. There was nobody there. I'm out in the corridors looking and there's nobody there. And it's just help. You know, she felt so helpless. Were you in tremendous pain, Ashley? I was, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's it. It's probably labor, just before my waters pain. broke at that point. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. So it should I think have it's been around, so different. Yeah, yeah go ahead. nine o'clock that evening. Then that night, she got she got pain med- She got pain medication then. But I mean, that was a full nearly forty-five minutes. You know, mm. of full-on labour pain. It was horrific. And I appreciate that some of what you have to say is graphic, and I've already alerted people with regards to that, yeah. but. So that so does the labour begins um, and it 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 runs its course. Does that result in um, you passing the baby? Yeah, like they told me, basically it will be exactly like labour, um, and that I'd pass the baby. The baby passed naturally because of the tablets I took, and obviously my waters broke then the Friday night, and I was like, okay, this is it. You know, I was preparing myself. I was getting very nervous going in and out of the toilet and I was afraid to look but I want you know I, I wanted to make sure that obviously I could pass the baby like and but the hospital Can I, I kept calling them in sorry well no I just wanted to say um, I don't think you said it at the start Ashley that Ashley was going in with the intention of bringing her baby home in a little white box with a blanket and stuff that was the intention yeah, yeah know, they asked so sorry, me if I, just I would to, like yeah. to bring her home yeah um and I was calling the midwife in and I was like, oh, can you come in and check the bleeding or whatever, you know, kind of make sure to see if I passed it or if I didn't. And they kind of were kind of outside the, the bathroom door in the hospital room and they were just kind of peeking in. They were like, no, that's fine. You can dump it down the toilet. So I had to pick up the bedpan and pour it down the toilet again and start to you know, do it again. And um, I don't know, it got to maybe about 11, 11 o'clock that night and they gave me another... They gave me more pain medication and the midwife at that point was like, look, try have a sleep. You know, try try sleep because at that point I was physically, mentally exhausted. So I went to sleep and I, they woke me up the next morning and they were like, basically like, <laughs> oh, we'll go do a scan now. We think you've passed it. Um, so they brought me into the ashing suit again that morning with another junior doctor. But what were you saying, forgive me again for being graphic, but what were you seeing in the bedpans? Excessive bleeding, was it? There there were big lumps. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Twice we we thought she was after passing the baby. Twice we we thought she did, but the midwife said she didn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I had my scan then in the Ashton Street. She'd done an abdominal scan again. She said, oh, I don't see, there doesn't seem to be anything, you must have passed it. And she'd done a transvaginal to double check and she said, uh, oh no, you must have passed it. Um, it would have been too small for you to even yeah. notice anyway. 
How small do we know? It was, I, it well, wasn't let's small say, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You would have a hundred percent of not like I. I knew. Do you know you would have known if you passed it or not? But I didn't know at that point. Mm. You know. Mm. So she done transvaginal. She said, "Oh no, do you know you definitely have you definitely passed it? Like it would have been too small. You wouldn't. You mightn't have even noticed." So she discharged me. I was discharged at that point, and I was sent home and that would have been the Saturday morning and why at that why earlier would there have been if that was the process and the protocol involved why would they have been talking about a little white box and a blanket and bringing your baby exactly home? yeah yeah, yeah exactly okay. there doesn't seem to be any there was there didn't seem to be any communication between any of the, the nurses or the midwives up there you know because I told one midwife the first one I dealt with when I went in initially on the Friday she was like saying oh would you like to see the baby would you like to bring yes, the baby home yes. all this and I was like, yeah, well, at that point, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. But then, obviously, I told her that I wanted to do that. Of course, I did. I mean, at the end of the day, that's still my baby, you know. And um, then I was basically discharged. And I was like, okay, like, you know, they initially told me that I could bring a baby home and they'd give me this for it and whatever. And I was just discharged then with nothing at that and point. And who did the, you know, that scan after the, the, the labour? Was that a, a junior doctor? That was a junior doctor, mm. yeah. Mm, it was, so there it was, was definitely um, there was definitely no communication because she said to Ashley, she was like, "Why are you even up here? Why didn't you just yeah. pass at home? Why are you here?" You know, so yeah, there was definitely lack of communication. Yeah, yeah. Does it, does that happen? So, you know, where sometimes where say there is no heartbeat and the, the baby hasn't survived in the womb, that one would be given the tablets to go home. Have the labour at home? Um, well, see, they didn't. What they said to me when they were talking about my options was one of them was obviously the DNC, one of them was the medical management, and another one was to wait and wait for the baby to pass naturally. But that could have taken weeks. They told me. Mm. So at that point, they wouldn't have given you medication to go home and pass it naturally anyway. Mm. No, I'm just curious no. as to whether or not this actually is something that this very sad, tragic event sometimes does happen in the home. But but in your case, yeah. you went back into the Ashling Suite on on the Friday. Um, but that's fine. You 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 obviously were just this this was a blur for you. Um, you know, yes, it was 100. You know, yeah, going but, home. Um, yeah, I went home then on the Saturday, and obviously, I mean, I just felt em- empty at that point. You know, I just my mental health was just it's very bad and it still is very very bad but I've had a lot of pain in my stomach and kind of cramps and stuff on that Saturday and I just presumed that that was after pain because they kind of sent me home they didn't tell me like what to expect like I was told about no bereavement counselling they didn't set anything like that up for me so I was literally kind of go home and you just you just get over what happened get on with it yeah yeah and then fast forward to then the next day, which would have been the Sunday, um, I still had pains, but I was just getting on with it. I had my son with me all that day, and the Iron Man was actually on that weekend. So, do you know, me, my partner, my son, we were like walking around, watching it, and Joe trying to keep our minds busy at that point and trying to be as normal as I can for my child that I had at home, you know? And also thinking about when and if you were going to tell him and how you would tell him. Exactly, yeah. 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 Had, you, had, had, um, had, your, had your son, I know he's five, but he knew Mammy was pregnant, did he? He did, yeah. yeah. He was very excited. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
So that was that was the Saturday, but then on the Sunday? Yeah, on the Sunday then it was the same. The after pains were still the same. But I was just getting on with my day. Um it was about maybe nine o'clock and I put my son to bed that night as normal and I was gonna get ready for bed myself. But I got up to go into the toilet before I went into bed and I could feel something down below. So um, you knew something was wrong. Yeah. 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 At okay. that point, yeah. Okay. And okay. then the initial shock and and fear kicked in then because I'm in an apartment and my partner was working nights at that stage and I'm three stories up. So I was like, okay, do you know, I was like, I have to try pass this on my Are own. Are you on your own then? I was on my own at that point, yeah. Okay, okay. Hold that thought and we'll pick up the next part of our conversation after the break. Text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Talking with Ashley and her mum, Melissa. Um, so it's the Sunday night. You know something is wrong. Um, you are in awful pain, obviously. Um, Colin, your partner's at work. You've just put uh, your small little lad to, to bed. Um, you go to the bathroom um, and because you feel something. And then you see something. Am I right? My apologies. Let me just get that phone line. I think it may have dropped on me. Sorry, actually, yeah. did you hear what I just said? Sorry. So yeah. you, you see something. Yeah, I just, I felt odd. So I put my hand, you say, down and I could feel something kind of jelly-like. But you could see something hanging out of me as well, you know. So I initially panicked and I was trying to push it out. Um, but obviously I couldn't do it on my own so Colin, my partner, was at work so the first person I rang was my mum so um, she ran ran to me like but because I'm up three stories I had to hold like I had to hold myself and come off the toilet to get my keys to run into my room to throw them out the window so to my mum so she could get into me because I, I, at that point I felt like I couldn't move so I was literally kind of waddling around my apartment at that stage, you know. Oh, my um, God. You must have been traumatised. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So but, so, um, th- so, so very quickly, I imagine, Melissa arrives. She did, yeah. No, she did. Yeah. Okay. Only for Orin and I was on in town. I was literally a couple of minutes away, thank God. Mm, okay. So I flew down to Orin, yeah. yeah. Okay. You must have been in disbelief when you arrived. Yeah. Like when she rang me and she was like, "Ma'am, the baby is coming," I was like, "You're joking me." I was shocked, but I wasn't actually shocked at the back of my mind because I was thinking, the midwives were saying she didn't pass the baby. The doctor is saying she did. So where did the baby go? Mm. So a small bit of me wasn't surprised. So yeah, I ran down and when I went into her apartment, she was sitting on the toilet and you could just you could see it. You could see the baby. Oh dear. There is. They were, you could see the sack and there was like a little arm or a leg hanging out. Oh dear. And I had to I had to pull the baby out, literally. And it was just all shock. It was just pure panic. It was just unbelievable. It's not something that you expect. No, so I guess you. the adrenaline kicks in and you yeah. just you just act, you know? Yeah. 
So I got yeah. the baby out and um, I was actually, Ashley told me to take one of the blankets from the hospital that they left outside the room that the baby was supposed to come home in. So she, I got, she, I got that blanket and I wrapped the baby in the blanket and put it in a box. And myself and Ashley just sat at the kitchen table and we were like, what in God's name just happened? Yeah. It was just unbelievable. It was. It was just pure shock. And, and I was in such shock at that point. Yeah. be a lot of emotions going on, wouldn't there? It would be clearly yeah. shock, clearly being traumatised, so, so upset. Because yeah. um, at the end of the day, this was to be your second child. Um, yeah. And either a brother or a sister for your lovely son. Did you yeah. did you call the hospital then? What what happened next? I actually, we didn't even call the hospital on Sunday. And I don't even know why. I think it was just, I was in pure shock at that point, And I knew, like... I'm sorry now I'm getting upset oh. but I knew at that point I just it was my only time in a way to have my two kids with me at once yeah. so I literally just wanted I just wanted that night I just wanted that night with them if that makes sense so I didn't actually ring the hospital until the Monday morning okay can I ask you about Colin and uh, how was yeah. he feeling through all of this it's obviously very, very tough on him, and I think it's harder for him because he was at work when it, when that happened, and I think that's something he struggles to kind of deal with the fact that he wasn't there, you know. A, a kind of a, a sense of responsibility, but yeah, know, of but, course. But of yeah. course, this was not expected, nor was it planned. It's it's one of those awful things that happened. Yeah, you know, you can't anticipate something like this. No, 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 no. I mean, I I never thought that something like that would have happened to me, you know. But I know it's just one of these things. At the same time, but it's still very hard to process. Yeah, well, certainly the the story so far, you know, there, there, there's kind of confusion uh, and um, you know who's scanning and who's qualified to do the scan and the the yeah. issues in in the. In the hospital, in the in the in the room on on your own, and being in the bathroom with the with the bedpan and, and things like that. But you 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 did yeah. you did make the call though. You did call the hospital. I did. I rang them on Monday morning, and obviously I was initially ringing, being like, "You told me that I was okay to go home, and this shouldn't have happened to me when I was at home my own, you know." And what they said to me was, "Can I come up straight away?" And they told me. I told my pastor the baby, and they said, um, "Can you?" transfer the babe can you transfer what you pass is the words they used into a ziploc bag for travel so you use the word baby they used what you passed as the term yeah um, yeah and they told they told me to put it into a ziploc bag a ziploc bag that you would you know keep food in the fridge and kind of yeah thing. yeah, yeah. Did so you, did Colin you... my partner had to do that <sighs> but I mean that that alone was that alone is traumatizing enough, you know that kind of way. <sighs> you so, don't. You don't need to say it. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that, and we went up to the hospital, and I was, I was in put in a room straight away to kind of hide me from. I feel that's what it felt like to me to hide me from the pregnant women. You know, I was kind of put in a room and kind of left in a room, waiting for someone to come into me, and. 
she, the doctor came in and I was explaining all this and she was like, oh, well, we're a teaching hospital. And I was like, but I understand that. But I said, when someone is coming up here when, for anything, if someone is going to a hospital, you want to deal with someone that knows what they're on about and that's trained. So like, somebody I told no you that it's... any junior doctor, like scanning me or doing whatever, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I just felt like the hospital from start to finish was just so incredibly dismissive towards me. Okay, and, and you're, you're entitled to feel that way. You're, you're the person who went through it. They, they said we are a teaching hospital in the sense that yeah. junior doctors and staff who are learning need to be hands-on so that they can learn, but you might possibly suggest that that's all very well, but this is a very important thing. It's, it's the gestational yes. period yeah. of, of a baby in your womb, and that if, a, if you are teaching, have somebody senior overlooking the exactly. teacher. Exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, did they take the baby and the Ziploc bag from you? No, I told them that I was told to put it in the bag and to bring it up. And she, the doctor told me, she was like, oh, yeah, we'd really recommend you sending it away for testing. And other than that, they didn't look at it. They didn't, they didn't take it. They, they, they wanted nothing to do with it, basically. So we, I was literally walking around with my baby in a bag, like... They did another scan, I think, at this stage. They but, did, yeah, yeah. They did sure. another scan and they tried to assure me again that it was definitely gone this time. Yeah, because you had it. You were in possession yeah. of the baby. Yeah. yeah. So who did take your, your little baby? We actually buried we, we buried the baby with um, a loved one. Ourselves. Because the hospital didn't, they didn't do anything, so... They didn't want it, basically, at that point. I brought, like, they didn't look at us. We just brought it straight back home and we left the hospital. Did they they at any stage? Do you mind me asking, incidentally, Ashley, do you know the the sex of the baby? Yeah, she was a girl. Little girl. Sister for your son. Yeah. Did anybody look? No, only myself, obviously, my mum and my partner. So no medical professional whatsoever looked at the no. baby or, or the bag. So you had the scan and took your daughter, your little baby girl, home. Yeah. Does that sound right and normal to you, Melissa? No, it does not at all. I mean, as she was waiting up there for hours that day, I, like she rang me and she was like, "Ma'am, I'm still up here," and I'm like, "Oh my God!" I thought you have been in and out, seen straight away, looked after, you know. You know, it's absolutely just shocking. Like she was up there hours. I think in the end she left herself. Was not right, Ash. I did. Yeah, I just, I just left yeah. myself because they just had me waiting in the room on my own again. Like, but even though you left yourself, they had previously. And this is important. They had previously said to you, "Where's the effect of?" You know, take your baby home with you. They didn't want, they didn't mention anything about even looking at the baby to make sure even that all of it passed together. That's what my concern was because when I initially tried to pass the baby myself, I don't, like, I don't know if there could have been a bit left or if it all came together, but my mum was convinced that she got it all together. But I just wanted them to check to make sure and obviously to check me to make sure you know, obviously because infections and things. So they just done a scan on me and basically that like that was it. They were like, oh, wait, um, wait there now for more bloods and stuff. But no, I, I know. I, I don't mean to be laboring the point, but we, I, we, I will be in touch with the COMH um, because yeah. I will wish to know 
their version of events or whatever they wish to disclose. 100%, they they, they yeah. may not disclose anything um, and may and may have valid reasons not to. But at no at no time did anybody wish to see your your baby or ask no. for your baby or talk about anything like that. No one showed any no. interest. You're saying in taking the Ziploc bag. No. Okay. And none whatsoever. And so there was. You believe there was no real point hanging around then or staying. No, there. No, to me there wasn't because, I mean, at that point, like, I don't. I don't even know how to explain how I felt at that point. You know, it was definitely one of the lowest points of my life. I just wanted to be at home in my own comfort at that stage because I was just kind of. They were just kind of making me hang around up there and I didn't see any point whatsoever for to get my blood done. I just wanted to go home. I was sick of being up there at that stage because it mean it was nearly a week of being in and out of there. Uh, by that point, I just wanted to be able to go home and, and to process my grieving from my daughter. I like. understand. I understand. You've put that very well. So, and I'll, pay, I'll finish the conversation with you after 10. So at that stage, yourself and your partner, Colin, and your small little baby um, in a Ziploc bag left the hospital together? Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, thank you for now, Alyssa, and sorry, M- Melissa, and indeed uh, Ashley. We'll finish our conversation after 10. Text 0868-104-106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. We're talking with Ashley about the traumatic events that happened to her uh, at the CUMH and at home and the events that uh, led up to her coming home with her small little, tiny little baby in a Ziploc bag, but also in conversation with her mom, Melissa. Melissa, good morning. What is, Hi, how are you? Because obviously daughters turn to mams in situations like this. It's the most natural thing. How are you feeling as all of this is, is, is unfolding? Well, it was just pure shock to start with. I mean, as the days after kind of happened, it was a lot of emotions for me. I mean, to this day, I still see the look in Ashley's eye when, she, when I went into her apartment and she was sitting on the toilet. That look haunts me. You know, it was just a look that you'd never want to see in your daughter's eyes. It was just pure and utter terror. So, you know, that, you know, and that was my, that was my granddaughter, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Terror and I suppose confusion, you know. Yeah. Disbelief, all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. You were there for her and Colin was there for her. Um, And Ashley. When you arrived home, talk of the following, you know, days. What happened then? To be honest, it. I'm like, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now, and I'm still struggling with it and to come to terms with it and to try to understand what happened. And I think it's harder for me now because I, the hospital, never gave me like you know there was no bereavement counselling like I I, I need counselling I need to speak to somebody like my mental health is is suffering a crazy amount and like I say it every single day like I'm I went through it but I mean I'm I'm the one that's still suffering the afters of it and I mean it's nothing to anyone that's up in the hospital there you know what I mean did, did did anybody get in touch with you from the CUMH? No. 
No. Mm-hmm. I had to go to my own doctor in Clamel, um, and I'm obviously on medication now, but they did try and get me bereavement counselling with the hospital there because obviously I'm, I don't really trust the COMH because of what happened. I don't believe what they say to me, but the hospital link there for my doctor wouldn't, they wouldn't take me on basically for bereavement counselling because I was dealing with the COMH. So they gave me a number for a counsellor that is works with the COMH and I got in contact with her and I haven't heard anything back and that was about three or four weeks ago now. In the sense you got it, did you talk with the counsellor or was it a text message, no, an left, email? I left two voicemails and I left a text message. Okay. And None of them responded. That's the correct number and everything, was it? Yeah. Okay. It was actually a, a mobile number, so it did, must have been her actual mobile number. Okay. Did you contact with. Did you contact an undertaker? No, I didn't. Okay. So where does where where does your baby rest now? We just put her with one of my loved ones. We where where the, my loved one is buried. We lit, it's only a tiny little thing. We literally just put her there because. I needed to put her to rest so that I could try rest. And I wasn't told anything and I didn't know what to do. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's still my baby. Like, and it was just, I was just treated as if it wasn't that. Do you know, it was just like a a thing. For you, it was a much wanted baby. But you're giving me the impression that you feel as if the process that you went through was very clinical, uh, very matter of fact, very medical. A hundred percent, it was. Yeah. So well, we daughter- were up there that Friday. That Friday, like I told Ashley, like we saw more of the catering staff than we did midwife. She was just. Yeah. I, I felt. I think you felt too. You were just left on your own. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, only for you were with me that day. I would have genuinely have been yeah. on my own. And you're dealing with it and battling with it now as a consequence. Um, I think you described it as an an extremely dismissive attitude to a woman going through something as traumatic and upsetting and sad as as the events that you went through. Yeah, 100%. One minute you're excited being pregnant and looking forward to the birth of a, a second child. Then everything falls off a cliff. One would think that there would be protocols in place to cope with that. 100%, yeah. Like I, I, I mean, do need someone to speak to. I do need someone to speak to. Like, and I mean, any woman that goes through any sort of pregnancy loss or miscarriage or however it happens, like, I do. Like, they need they need someone to talk to. You know what I mean? Because, like, from the second you get your two lines on your test, I mean, you're planning this future for your family and with this new baby, and you know, from from the very very start. And I mean, I think that's a very normal and natural thing for a woman oh, to yeah. do, obviously, you yeah, know? Yeah, and Colin as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, so, it's, it's very tough. So, if it's of any slight consolation at all, there are many, many texts coming in since we started our conversation. And unfortunately, some of them are also sad stories of people who have maybe not necessarily gone through something similar to you, although we will find out throughout the course of the morning reading out the text and talking to the people, but I don't know if it's any consolation that you're not alone. Oh, I know, and I am. I'm. I my heart. My heart genuinely, genuinely aches for any anyone that 
has went through anything in regards to this, no matter how it happened or when it happened, because it's gut-wrenching. To be honest, it really, really is, and I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And by highlighting it, do you hope that things will improve in this regard within the CUMH? Of course, 100%. Hopefully. And I mean, and for the afters of it as well, you know, like people, you like, you need support throughout this. I mean, like, you need it, like, you know, your mental health does suffer and it suffers quite a lot. Like, it's very important to have someone to speak to. And well, it's the fact that they, they, they didn't... They didn't help me with that, you know. Well, that's lacking because that's a very traumatic event. Yeah. You know, and it's not really adequate to just say, um, did they say take your baby home? No, they they didn't. But they they didn't say that they wanted to check it either, you know. You just sat there There with your baby. There was no communication at all there. Like this is from start to finish, you Mm. know. It was very, like, how it was for me personally, I found it very, very dismissive from start to finish in regards to CUMH. Have you managed to tell your son? I did, yeah. And do you mind me asking how you broached the topic? I'm I'm quite sure you did an awful lot better than the recommendation from the hospital. Well, yeah, of course, I wasn't going to say what the hospital told me. I just basically said that his baby sister wasn't strong enough and... She needed to be strong to be able to play with him and, and all, you know. So I just said she's up in heaven now with Holy God. That's, that's how I kind of put it. And we have a teddy now with, like, kind of a pink teddy and we have our scan picture in it. And, like, between me, Colin and my son, we all kind of take turns sleeping with that teddy because it does. It's the only thing that we have from her and it, it does bring us quite a bit of comfort. I think you handled it beautifully well. Beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and, she's amazing. Um, and and your son, uh, how was his response to that? I mean, he's still he's, he talk like we talk about her all the time. Like you know, I mean, I I I wouldn't be like, oh, we can't speak about it anymore. And he'd be asking if you know, I've no, are you happy? You've no baby in her belly because I was quite sick in the pregnancy and all. So I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm happy. Mammy's not sick anymore and. I'm just, I am trying to keep it still as positive as I can, but without hiding the truth from him at the same time, know. you know, but and, and when you without talk, being blunt. Yeah, and when you talk about her, do you talk about her by name? Yeah, we, we, we name her, yeah. Yeah, we called her Ayla, so we yeah. talk about her by name. Baby Ayla. Yeah, for me personally, it's, it's, I feel like it makes it easier, you know, to, to grieve by like having giving her a name and we have a little teddy now for her and we have the little blanket that she was initially put in when my mum delivered her and stuff, you know. I want to thank you for sharing the story, difficult and all as it must have been because you end up reliving it all again, not just you but also your lovely yeah. mother, Melissa. Um, I think this conversation, hopefully, if, if people within the hospital are, are listening might just gently remind them that this, for many people, is a lot more than just a medical procedure. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will be contacting the CUMH for comment on this. You're okay with that? Yeah. But if your conversation this morning helps anybody going forward, then our chat will be a good thing. 100%, yeah.
<laughs> as long as everyone knows that, like, you're not alone, you know. I mean, I initially thought that it, like, it only happened to me, you know, when it happened. Okay. But, I mean, I obviously understand it happens to quite a lot of people. Well, thank you both. I wish you well in the future. I thank really and you. truly do. And I hope you thank get you. the, need, the, the help that you need and that, um, you know, uh, you manage to move on. Um, and uh, clearly you'll never forget baby Ayla. She'll always be part of your lives. Oh, yeah, 100%. OK. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks, and thank Ian. you, Melissa. Take care for now. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Bye. Text 0868104106 if you have a story to share and you would like to take some time over it, you can always email me. I never share anybody's personal details ever. Text uh, 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Calls on the way. First by text. That poor woman, Neil, she's so brave. Thoughts and prayers are with her. Uh, another one, CUMH, still has only one nominated person. This is to answer my question. CUMH still has only one nominated person for scans and for delivery. No siblings or any other visitors are allowed. And personally, I think that is wrong. Uh, Neil, to offer the woman four tablets, get her to take two in front of them and then take two at home. What kind of treatment is that? Why couldn't they allow the woman to be in a bed in the hospital instead of sending her home? Uh, that story is absolutely horrific, as if it wasn't bad enough for the lady and her mum, but to be treated so awfully, it was heartless. Um, morning, something similar happened to me in the CUMH. It was seven years ago. My second child had no heartbeat, so I op- opted for a D and C. Uh, I got nothing to bring home to bury, and it has haunted me to this day. I've never gotten pregnant since, and I'm convinced that something went wrong somewhere. And just to add, three days later, I was brought back into hospital by ambulance and treated for sepsis. Uh, Jennifer says, just listening to that poor girl on the radio, I had an early miscarriage in 2013, two weeks before Christmas. I was supposed to be 12 weeks and measuring nine weeks. I was sent home and told to wait till it passed. And I did. And on Christmas Day, when I had 20 people for dinner, it would have been my fourth baby, uh, I went up to St. Stephen. I went up on St. Stephen's Day after, and they said uh, I didn't pass it all and had to wait and come back in a couple of days. On the thirtieth, I was admitted to Bantry Hospital as I had headaches and was losing my hearing after the loss of blood. I stayed for a week and got two blood transfusions. I really thought I was badly treated by the CUMH that time because when I first noticed the cramps and bleeding, I was told stay at home as we can't do anything for you. And just another few. Uh, Oh, my God, my poor darling daughter went through this exact same experience during COVID. And unfortunately, no one uh, in capitals, absolutely no one was allowed to be with her. Her partner was allowed in to hold the white coffin two days after her loss. But no way was he allowed in during her excruciating pain while she was having a painful miscarriage. They're still trying to cope with their loss these years later. These heartbroken parents are trying every day to navigate their way through this horrific ordeal and others likewise with their horrific ordeals. My heart goes out to those who are unfortunately at the mercy of this lack of compassion, lack of emotion and lack of understanding. The long-term damage is irreparable, an absolute tsunami of emotional damage where everyone is affected. Don't give up my details. My darling daughter listens to you every day. Um... I passed my baby at home on my own. I had pain, went for a scan on my own, was sent home and told to come back in a few days for another scan. In the early stages, it's common to happen this way. I just wrapped up what I passed, went to the hospital to confirm and have the scan. 
yes, it was very, very upsetting. Uh, that must be the most heartbreaking story I've ever heard in a supposedly modern 21st century country. It is nothing but barbaric. I hope uh, Ashley and Melissa and Colin recover this horrific act of inhumanity. Uh, I am so cross, says uh, Eilish. Uh, and there's more, uh, many, many more, which I will come back to, but I'm keen to get back to the phone lines. And uh, I want to chat with Ashling in a moment. But first up, Susan, good morning. Hi, Neil. Following the story that we just heard, um, what is your own story? So I miscarried myself last week. Um, last week, I'm so sorry. It's so, it's so yeah. fresh. Yeah, um, I'd say about a week prior to that, like your caller there, I experienced spotting as well. So I rang the hospital and asked them, like, is it possible to come out? Because I wasn't sure if this was okay. I was told that spotting is normal unless I was experiencing bad pain and heavy bleeding that I was to stay at home, that this is normal. So I tried to just take my mind off it and just get on with things. And as the days were going by, I started to kind of bleed a little bit more. You're about, were you so about, I, about three months gone, I think, were you? I was three months, yeah. yeah. So I rang again, just explaining that I'm beginning to kind of bleed a little bit more. I was worried. Told again the same thing. There's nothing we can do for you, really, unless you're really heavy bleeding and bad cramping that there's nothing that they could do. So, carrying on again, um, it got to the point, um, it was a Sunday for me as well. Um, throughout the day, I, I was kind of bleeding more and more. This was like beginning to be like period, you know, at this point, which isn't really normal for pregnancy. I still wasn't heavily cramping, but as the day went on, I began to experience very light cramping. So I had rang them again on the Sunday, the Sunday night, and I was told unless I was heavily bleeding and changing pads every half hour and heavily cramping, that there was nothing that they could Okay, do. so that was three calls, was it? Yeah. Where would have been the so, harm? And this is so recent, it's only the last week or 10 days. Where would have been the harm in just saying, come on in? Well, I thought, no, the normal thing to do would be come out, we'll do a scan, we'll see if there's any heartbeat. If there was no heartbeat, maybe I could have been told, be prepared, you're going to miscarry. Maybe then you could be offered maybe some pain relief. I just thought that would be a normal way to deal with these kind of things. But I just felt that they were adamant that they didn't want me out there. And had they said to you in each of those calls, there was nothing they could do? Yeah. But you were explaining that there was a level of pain and you were passing blood. Okay. Yeah. So like my third phone call, I said, I I am bleeding and I, I am cramping. She asked me then, um, I hadn't had my, my first scan out there at this point, and she said, when is your, your scan? Um, usually you get it at 12 weeks. I was kind of going on to the 13 week at this point, and I said, my scan should be on Tuesday, and she said, oh, ring in the morning, so, and they might put your, your appointment forward. So I was actually, I was baffled, to be honest, with that. So I was just angry. I just hung up the phone, and I told my partner, I'm just going to bed because I'm just in so much pain. So as I was laying down, my partner came in to me to ask, was I okay? And he'd lay down with me at this point. And I said, to be honest, this, these are norm, they're not normal cramps. I said, I think I'm having contractions. So You know contractions. You already had three babies. I know contractions, yeah. 
Because okay. like there on about oh, is it beyond period pain? You know, was it heavy cramping? This this was full on contractions. Okay. Thank so you. my partner obviously was afraid at this point. He says like if you're having contractions, do you think you're going to pass something? And I said I I knew at that point. I said this is, isn't good at all. So it was coming in waves like it would, and I was just lying there and going through it. And next thing, it just suddenly stopped. So I stood up. I went to go into the bathroom because I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to bleed heavily at this point. When I ran into the bathroom, when I looked down, I was surprised there was no blood, but it was my waters. My waters had actually broke. And at that point, I knew obviously I was going to pass the baby. So I grabbed tissue thinking I was going to bleed, but it was actually the baby. I had passed into my hand and I, I, just, I just wasn't mentally prepared for that. I think these things should happen in a hospital with some port around you, not in your your bathroom alone and not knowing what to do. It was very traumatic. I couldn't believe that I rang them and I asked them and they just didn't want me out there. I just don't think these things should happen in your own home. It's, it's just terrifying. And then I had kids that were in bed and obviously I got such a fright. I had screamed from my partner because I couldn't believe what I just witnessed. And my children had to listen to that in bed, traumatised. It was just such a bad, such a bad situation. Yes, they, they're listening to their mother screaming and crying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What that did you, shouldn't have happened. What did you do next? So my partner rang the hospital and he said, we were just auntie there and she's after miscarrying. What, what happens now? And then funnily enough, they're, oh, come away out and bring whatever you passed with you. Like, and how did you react to the case. term of bring whatever you passed? Because this it's is something. Cold. Yeah, because this is, that's something that I mentioned to, to Ashley as well. The same kind of terminology was used, um, like, like as if it's, it's, it's very clinical, you know, it's like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's matter. It's, you know, as in, but, but not, I understand not, not a baby. Yeah, it's like I understand they're so used to this. Like you can just tell that they're so used to it when they just use that terminology. So we had to bring our kids out to my my parents' house, and even when we were home, we were saying, "How do we? What do you even bring the baby in?" Like, so like all we had was a little carton, literally an empty Chinese carton and tissue, and like even doing something like that, it's it just it's so not right. Like. You know, so we made our way out to the to the hospital, and we were just waiting in the in the lobby for someone to see us. And carrying the little carton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you mind me just saying this? And 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 I don't mean to be upsetting people. And and I did give, um, you know, some some guidance earlier on this morning. Um, bring whatever passed with you, but yet you are looking at the tiniest, tiniest little thing with arms yeah. and legs. Yeah, okay. literally. Okay. And then okay. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Even even to witness that is traumatizing in itself. Like as you said, arms, legs, little rib cages, little tiny little fingers, eyes. You know, it's it's your baby. Um, when we got out there, then um, I had to do like a yarn sample and stuff like that. And she was speaking to my partner. She said, "Oh, you know, you can leave it here, or you can bring it home." I just think they're just so used to doing this. It, it's just nothing to them, really. Like, but um, when we got out there, it was it was 
completely, it was quiet. I was brought to a, an empty ward. So, like, that's why I, I was shocked. I was saying, you say something if it was really busy, that they, that's why they couldn't, you know, can we come out and maybe do a scan, but there's nobody there. <laughs> so I can't understand why they really didn't want me to come out. It made no sense. See, it seems, it's it's clearly very traumatising and awfully upsetting for um, the women giving birth or being pregnant and also their partners. But that doesn't seem to be something that's really being taken seriously enough. The trauma, the heartbreak, the mourning, the grief at the, on the hospital end. Yeah, it's, just, it's very cold. It's very cold. But but you clearly did at some stage meet somebody who took you into their care in the hospital, yeah? Yeah, and I, w- I will say, like, I, there were a couple of the nurses, they were very sympathetic, and there were, or like, one in particular, um, like, they decided to keep me in because I was kind of heavily bleeding at that point, and they said they wanted to keep me in and just run another test in the morning, give me a scan um, to confirm, like, whether I needed a DNC or not, or did I pass everything naturally myself. And that nurse, I have to say, she was lovely. And they did put um, my baby into a box. Like they took it, they took it away for a little while. And when they handed the, the handed the baby back, it was in a box. And the nurse that was looking after me was like, "Oh, I'll get a blanket now, when we'll wrap that baby up." She did say to me, um, "Oh, Susan, you're so lucky that this happened this way for you. That you were able to." to catch your baby because unfortunately a lot of these cases just end up getting flushed down the toilet. I just thought it was crazy. Even to be to say that like like I, I was lucky, I was the lucky one basically. Lucky you she probably meant lucky or um yeah. yeah. But Ashley Ashley didn't get that kind of um, you know okay, that was yeah. that was a silly thing for her to say, but you you're saying that some of the staff were compassionate and they were helpful and there was yeah, a small little box and a blanket. Had, yeah. I actually didn't get any of that, um, unfortunately. Yeah, so I can't wrong the nurse I had. Um, she was very warm and very, and she could see I was distressed and I could tell she was going mad for me and the stuff she was saying, even in just a real bad situation, she did try her best to make, you know, make it as nice as she possibly could. Yeah. So I, I couldn't, she was, she was so nice. The lady I had. And there must have been yet another chapter to this. You have your small little baby in, um, what, what, like a what, what kind of a what kind of a box is it? It's like a tiny. It's like a little white box, so you can kind of screw off the top. Okay, like, like a little tiny, tiny coffin. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, like Neil, I think there should be a designated area for like people that are experiencing loss out there because the following day after I got the scan, they said uh, we think everything passed naturally. Uh, we don't think you need a DNC, so if there's someone to collect you, you can head home. And leaving the hospital, it's like you're leaving the same exit as these people with their babies in their car seats and I'm there behind them and I'm leaving with mine in a box, basically, in my yeah, yeah, yeah. I just found it very, to even just leave, it was just so hard to pass. Now, the only consolation I have, I have two kids. I had that happy leaving the hospital experience with my children and that's the only thing I could think about. I was like, you, you had that. You know, some people go through this 
loads of times and they have nothing to go home to. You know, it must be very hard. Well, you know, miscarriages are a fact of life and we can't argue with that, but it's the manner and the process and the procedure that one goes through during that traumatic time. That's that's what's under the microscope at the moment. Um, not yeah. that there will never, you know, you can't prevent miscarriages. I mean, it's it's awfully, awfully yeah. sad. But as I say, and it's the do, procedure. And, like, there is nothing offered afterwards, you know, because you do go through, you do go through guilt. Do you think, is it something I did? Is it something I ate? Is it something I drank? Is it something, you know, did I lift something too heavy? It's like, they don't, they offer no support afterwards. It's just like, it's done now, head home, deal with this yourself. You know, it is a bit of mental turmoil when you're when you're home and alone. And so, when when when, when it was clearly obvious that you were very traumatized and upset, did, does any counselor come to you or any trained staff member say, give you a a, a pamphlet or a leaflet or a number to call? Or no, no. absolutely nothing. Okay. You okay. just said we we want you to have something to eat there now before you leave, and as soon as you're finished, that was it. By nothing else was offered, which is a bit crazy. And did you take your little baby home? Yeah. So we have a tree outside our window and we just buried the baby under the tree because where we sit in our living room we can see the tree. So I just felt there was some bit of closeness there. So it's right by our right by our window. Um I asked Ashley the similar question but do you know if it was a boy or a girl? I think it was a boy. No, I did ask them. But, like, by the time we brought the baby out, we tissue and everything wrapped around. And as she says, like, the baby is literally, like, jelly-like. I uh, know. Okay. So okay. she says, oh, it's just it's just hard to tell. And I said, I really do think when I first saw the baby that it was a boy. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe so, maybe yeah, so. That's boy. all I got. So I didn't have confirmation from them but in my heart I feel like it was a boy. Did you name him? I didn't name him because I would have liked for them to say yes so I felt like you know maybe it wasn't so he just said like Angel Angel baby Angel baby Not an easy conversation to have considering it only happened so recently takes a very brave woman to be able to relive it and tell it again so sorry. No Thank you, Susan. Thanks, Neil. Mind yourself, yeah? Yeah, I just think this does need to be highlighted, so you know it's hard to speak about. Well, you're part of the highlighting process. Yeah, You're yeah. part of that process. Thank you for it. Yeah. No better. Thanks. Bye-bye right. for now. Me. Take care. Back after the break, our lines are open on 0818-104-106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 086-8104-106, Red FM. And you are texting, I hope the hospital takes responsibility for the way they treated this poor girl. This is a reference to my first call with Ashley and her mother, Melissa. What an unprofessional way to handle this case and treat her that way. And I also must say that I'm, I'm sure that there are many, many health professionals, be it nurses and midwives and doctors who feel that this is more criticism or more bashing of the health service or bashing their hard work. And that's not, um, you know, that was not anything that I wish to set out to do because uh, I know uh, that many do work hard and even uh, we were chatting there with Susan, she spoke of some kindness when she was there. So this is not, and I hope it doesn't come across as in any way, shape or form, a bashing or a criticism of 
um, our, our, our health service and those that work in it. But there certainly needs to be, a, there certainly seems to be a systematic problem in the process and the procedures that are used for, uh, you know, dealing with um, a mother or indeed somebody who's going through an event like this. Um, and I think that a lot could be learned from these stories. I don't wish to come on air as I find it difficult to discuss, but I had a situation in the CUH where I lost my baby and needed a DNC. I signed for a post-mortem on my baby but received a call a week later saying uh, my baby was never received at the lab. And in their words, it may have been put in an incinerator. Those words will stay with me forever. My God. My wife suffered a miscarriage with her first child. Obviously, it was a very sad time for us. But listening to your callers today, I remember back to that time from start to finish. The whole health system was very blasé about our situation. We constantly had to repeat ourselves and explain everything over and over again to everyone that we spoke to. Everyone was constantly contradicting each other. She was early in the pregnancy and was planning to travel to France to see her friends for a weekend as she knew she would not see them for a long time after the baby was born. A few days before she was due to travel, she noticed spotting. She got checked out by her GP, went to hospital. They all said that there was nothing to worry about and that it would be okay to travel. We were worried, but we were reassured that all was okay, so she travelled. They were spending the weekend on a small island about two hours from the nearest hospital. On the second day of the holiday, she began to miscarry. Her friends got her to a hospital and everything was over quite fast. Uh, I'd prefer not to come on air as I wouldn't be able to hold back my emotions. But needless to say, we were both very angry with the whole way that things played out. Thankfully, since then, we've had two beautiful kids, happy and healthy. Our health system really needs to reassess how they manage miscarriages. Uh, Somebody else asked the question, what level of incompetence is present in our health system? Henry says, surely uh, after the majority of Irish voters voted to take away the rights of the unborn, we can't now expect that the child would be treated any differently. My condolences to the people that go through this. May their children rest in peace. Hearing Ashley's account is heartbreaking and at the same time rage-inducing. I have a very similar story when I miscarried and how I was dismissed and treated like it didn't matter. I was told on the Friday to go home without a scan when I was bleeding and had been given in the hospital uh, about six hours. Uh, I was told to come back on Monday, uh, giving me and my partner hope. But then I started to bleed so incredibly heavy on Sunday night. I was rushed to the COMH where I was scanned to be told that they could see a collapsed sack. I was then scanned again the next morning after staying in the hospital overnight. I was in my pyjamas in a state and was asked, why are you crying in the most horrible manner by the person doing the scanning? I actually responded, because I have just lost my baby. I was also offered no grievance counselling and was just sent on my way um, with uh, an evacuation of retained products of conception. I'm not quite sure. Is that a form? Is that some paperwork? Um, I was spoken to in a very matter-of-fact way and so coldly. And just one or two more. My heart is broken for Ashley. I'm so sorry for her loss. She's very strong to be able to speak so well about the often situation she found herself in. I'm hugging my baby girl here with tears in my eyes. I had three high-risk pregnancies and thankfully resulted in three healthy babies in the CUMH. I was admitted for a period of a few weeks before my last baby was born last year due due to the slowdown in growth. Uh, The miscommunication up there is actually shocking with conflicting opinions from different doctors. You end up having to explain your story every time you meet someone and correct them as to what the previous doctor advised. 
It's horrifying how open to mistakes they are. I shared a room with a lady who had lost a baby at 33 weeks the previous year due to negligence, and I would advise any woman to speak out loudly and advocate for themselves and for other women. Don't trust that they know what's best up there, um, and it's awful to think of it the way it is. And um, just to finish with two smaller texts here, Shauna says, uh, the hospital's failure of care, respect and dignity shows no respect for human life. These are horror stories. This is the new culture in the country after abortion legislation. The comment, what you passed, says it all. It was a baby. It was a human life. And the hospital and the health minister must apologise at least. Personal injuries must be compensated for this trauma and my deepest sympathies for the loss of Ashley's baby. Uh, you, you'd expect someone from COMH would have heart and at least dress this little baby and place it in a nice little nursery box. Shame on them. I thought there was a bereavement backup service in-house. Training or not, there was no great training going on there. Um, I, I, I appreciate your text, but uh, dressing something so, so tiny would be an absolute impossibility, I would suggest. Um, but certainly... Um, you know, maybe a tiny little box or a tiny little coffin. Um, in Susan's case, it was, and, and a small little blanket. Um, that should be the way forward. Back to the phone lines. Ashling, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Um, did you want to contribute to the awfully sad stories this morning? Yes. Now, my own story seems very minor after listening to those poor women. Um, but I suppose my issue is with communication. Um, I miscarried um, just over two years ago. Um, it was a Friday. I was, well, the doctor had told me I was 10 weeks. I myself think I was only about six because my cycle is irregular. Um, but I started spotting on the Friday. So I called the doctor and um, she told me to go down. So I went down to see the doctor. And I didn't see my own GP. I saw another lady. So she just said, um, look, she said, COMH is going to be busy today. It's Friday. So, you know, just wait until Monday and give the Ashling suite a call. So that's what I did. She did say, look, if it got worse over the weekend, you'd have to go to A&E or whatever. So it was fairly kind of consistent over the weekend. And then Monday morning came and I called the Ashling suite. So they told me to come up on Tuesday for a scan. So on the Monday... Um, I knew I I knew I had passed myself. I knew I had passed the baby myself. So I went anyway on the Tuesday for the scan. Um, you and you, like you knew you definitely did. Yes, I knew. I I had I had two I have two other children as well, and I just um, even the whole spotting on the Friday that had never happened okay. to me in my other pregnancy. So I knew something was wrong, um, and I knew I kind of knew I was going to I was going to miscarry. But on the Monday, uh, my bleeding got very heavy, and I got, I had pain. You know, I had cramps. Uh, which I don't ever usually get, even on my cycle. Um, so I just knew it had happened. Um, so I went on Tuesday. No, but I mean, you miscarried at home in the bathroom. That's got yes, to have been I very. At home. That's yes, like yeah, that's traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Now the doctor, of course, had told me I was ten weeks, but I myself think I was only about six weeks, and there is a huge difference there uh, between gestation and ten weeks. Yes. But no, what, is, it, is, it, sure. is it common that a lot of miscarriages happen at home? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that was my first. I presume it is. I suppose it all depends how far gone you are, really, how many weeks you are, you know. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, um, maybe, maybe it's just one of these things, a fact of life, that it can happen so quickly at home, yes. that it does happen a lot. It's just one of the medical professionals told Susan that it does happen a lot at home. 
I yes. won't go into I won't go into the graphic yeah. details of the words that were used by the doctor, but it was it was a, yes. it was a bathroom passing. Let me just say. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it it was the same for me. Obviously, I was a lot um, yeah. earlier, but on the the phone, she has said, "Look, you have to come on your own." It was that time when when you were going into the COMH, you have to go through kind of a prefab and sign forms to say that you didn't have COVID and all that kind of stuff. So I went in and went up to the Ashling Suite and I went for my scan and. Obviously, she had said, look, I'm sorry, there is no, you know, there, you obviously have passed your baby. There's no evidence of pregnancy or whatever. So um, she said, you know, is there anyone with you? So I said, no, there's not. So, you know, she said, is there anyone I can call? So I said, no, it's fine. I'll just go home. So um, I went home and that was the Tuesday. And the two weeks later, I got a phone call from the CUMH to ask me why I hadn't turned up for my 12-week scan. So that was... That was the most upsetting part for me because then I had to relay the whole thing over again and just say, you know, I miscarried my baby two weeks ago. So that was that. And then a following two weeks later, I went to my own GP with my little girl because she was sick. And um, I went in and, you know, my GP, she's lovely, but she was very excited. And she was like, how are you feeling and how's the pregnancy? And then I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. So I just had to relay the whole thing again to her. Um, so it's just the whole communication thing. You know, I would consider myself a strong person. You know, if I had been, you know, a girl who was on her first pregnancy, who was trying so hard for a family, I mean, it would have been extremely traumatic. You know, and it was traumatic for me, mm. but I had two younger children at home, you know, um, two small children. So that's just my experience, but it's just the whole lack of communication. Yeah, there's a, a whistleblower actually who left the HSC recently and I was reading a report in an article uh, that the individual gave last week where he was saying that the HSC itself, and these are my words, not his, he's just kind of like drowning in archaic ar- administration systems. Uh, that from a point of view of software and computerization and departments talking to each other and, um, you know, f- storing things online, uh, they're way behind in that regard. Uh, and they yeah. shouldn't be really because that's probably why those things happen to you. There's no communication, no central processing. You know, um, they're, they're back in the Victorian age in a lot of the ways they're probably yeah. drowning yeah. in paperwork. Yeah, like I presumed my GP would have received a letter from the hospital saying, you know, your patient has miscarried or, you know, but that never happened. Well, within the hospital itself, they did send out um, uh, uh, some, was it, was it an email or a letter saying, why didn't you turn up for your scan? Yes, that's right. I had received a letter and a phone call. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's because nothing was updated or they don't have, a, yeah. maybe systems are lacking with regarding to updating information like that. Very critical information, incidentally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Ashling. Thanks for your call. I appreciate You're it. Morning. You. Just to remind you, the CMH CMH give <coughs> three options when you pass a baby. One, take it home and bury it. Two, bury it in the community grave for babies. Three, ask the hospital to dispose of it, and you are given time and info to take your own decision in that regard. One critical text, actually, and um, uh, I welcome them. Uh, I don't, uh, not afraid of them. Not everybody agrees with conversations like this. Um, don't give them my details. I'm listening to your callers talking about miscarriages. I've gone through two miscarriages. One, I passed at home and I needed admission to the CUMH. And the second, I passed at home. It was a similar gestation to the woman you had on first, Ashley. Uh, at that gestation, you can't see the baby when losing it. It's approximately three centimetres in size. Uh, this woman should be telling her story to a counsellor, a GP, 
and to CUMH management. But you shouldn't be broadcasting her traumatic story. It achieves nothing but to make her trauma worse. Things happen in medicine that can't be avoided. No health professionals set out to miss something. I incidentally agree with that. Uh, This is also extremely distressing from listeners' point of view uh, this morning. There are so many more discussions that you could be having this morning. Thank you for that text. Um, I have to disagree. I think stories like this need to be heard. In fact, in part of your text, you did share some of your own experiences in the past with regards to miscarriages. Uh, and that's what people are doing, sharing those. I don't think things will improve. Uh, I don't think, um, you know, we can make things better if people don't share their stories. And can I just say from Ashley and Melissa's point of view, this is a conversation that uh, Claire, member of my team, has been working on and chatting with back and forth with Ashley and Melissa for a number of, of weeks. Um, this isn't anything that just happened overnight. Um, and it was Ashley really, who really wanted to share her story. And then others have followed with similar stories. So, no, I, I don't think it shouldn't be spoken about. In fact, I think it most definitely should. Uh, text 0868104106. You can pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we'll pick up the conversation after 11 o'clock this morning. Um, and indeed, if you have a story to share in this regard, feel free to do so. But if you don't wish to come on air, I understand that too. You could always email Neil at redfm.ie. The Irish Hospice Service have a bereavement support line. Uh, it's on 1-800-80-70-77. 1-800-80-70-77. Operates from 10 in the morning to 1 o'clock Monday to Friday. Uh, and I also hope that uh, I will have an, uh, um, an opportunity to talk probably tomorrow to the Miscarriage Association of Ireland. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. A lot of texts this morning, understandably so. Um, this is absolutely shocking. I lost a baby too in the same way as the girls on the radio. I was 16 weeks pregnant when I found out that the baby had died and had to go to the hospital to give birth. But the COMH were fantastic to me. I'm so glad to hear that. They helped me in every way. They put the little baby in a little white coffin and we were in a quiet room. We had her cremated a few days later. Uh, the man who spoke with me and helped me in the hospital contacted me a few days, a few times afterwards to see if I was okay. My issue was the church. The priest wouldn't baptize the baby. He didn't seem to see it as a real baby because it was born dead. And it is hard to believe. Now, I don't know how long ago this happened, if it had been in the 1960s or 70s or even before that. You would say they were awful times. But if this was anyway recently, it would be hard to believe would it have been such a big issue for the priest to baptize or to give the lads right or even, you know, holy water or something uh, on the coffin. It's awfully, awfully sad and so, so wrong. Um, and this, of course, should have been something that happened before cremation. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's awful clearly got uh, a priest that just didn't get it. CUMH is still the same as it was 14 years ago. I went to the CUMH A&E with suspected child loss at 10 weeks. I got checked over, got bloods done to check hormone levels. I was told by a junior doctor that I had lost the baby. Then five minutes later, I was told to go park in Wilton Shopping Centre and wait for a phone call for the hormone results to confirm that I was losing a baby. I got the phone call and was told to go home and wait and go to my own doctor. 
The story of Ashling is just shocking and beyond belief. There are so many things that were done and handled wrongly. Uh, not allowing her partner in for the original scan, not having a junior doctor supervised during the scan, a midwife not being able to read the scan, sending Ashley home, the lack of compassion from staff, no communication between the staff, telling Ashley to come into the hospital and then telling her she should have stayed at home, asking her to put her little baby in a plastic Ziploc bag and then wanting to know about it, putting Ashley into a room on her own, no partner with her, and then Ashley just went home because nobody cared. Oh my God, is this what our health service has come to? It's shocking and my thoughts are with Ashley, Colin and her mum, says Desi. Thank you for that. Uh, Neil, I can't get it out of my mind. A woman walking around the hospital with a baby in a Ziploc bag and nobody seeming to care. Uh, Neil, nobody can prepare you for the loss of a child. This is God's way and sadly it happens. I had three miscarriages, but one thing I'd advise is to look at the little boy. She has her son. I have none. I thank God I did go on to have three. I hated to say this, Neil, but the more she will dwell on this, the more it will bring her down. Uh, I think the CUMH are amazing. Uh, What a sad story of this lovely family's loss of their little girl. And there are many, many more, just one for now. To give people some hope out there, we couldn't have had a more opposite experience. We're not based in Cork, but in Limerick. My daughter lost a baby at 18 weeks. But the care she and her partner got was way beyond belief. From 12 weeks, when they knew the baby would not live much longer, they had grief counselling. And there was a beautiful room for both of them with a bed for her partner. When they induced her, there was a little sign on the door so everyone who entered the room knew of their sadness and were so respectful. They were able to bury their little baby in an angel plot in our graveyard. When they inquired who to contact to pay the undertaker, they were told that there was no charge. There are no words to express our thanks and appreciation for their care. I hope Ashley and Colin have happy times ahead. Maybe the CUMH could take on board some of the wonderful practices that we went through as a family at Limerick Maternity Hospital. Text 0868104106. Calls on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. And I will endeavour to talk to as many people as I can. Um, and our lines are open always. You can text 0868104106. Um, can I just go back to uh, a conversation that I had in the recent past with uh, um, the mammy of little Faye Neeland, who was born in, on the 1st of October 2019 and passed away uh, just 10 days later at the Children's Health Ireland at um, Crumlin in Dublin. Um, little baby Faye, tiny little thing, only survived for 10 days. And I know that there was um, a, a very detailed inquest into the events of little baby Faye, um, her birth and, and her passing. Uh, and I, I recall at the time that uh, Cantillon solicitors who were working and representing uh, the family great solicitors, they said that um, at least one thing will happen. Our investigations on behalf of Kevin and Christina, the mum and dad, have noted that improvements can be made and should be made to ensure better care in maternity hospitals. We acknowledge the CUMH commitment to review the guidelines in induction of labour, emphasis of importance and accurate clinical handovers with regards to staff, and that lessons have been learned by the tragic and avoidable death of Faye 
and that unnecessary deaths are avoided in the future. And I thought that was a, a very powerful statement at the time. I'm joined by a little baby phase mum, Christina. Christina, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm grand. And, and I know you were, you were listening this morning and, the, and that prompted your call. What, what do you make, um, just before I ask you, uh, with regards to uh, little baby Faye and how you're, how you're dealing with it, um, what do you make of the calls this morning? Yeah, it's, it's horrific to listen to, really. Um, but all the same, unsurprising in some regards. Um, I suppose our experience, albeit somewhat different um, in terms of obviously phase gestational age. Um, I was induced because she was post dates. 41 weeks, so, I think, isn't it, if I remember? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I suppose what I can kind of relate to, and of course, massive sympathies to, to those mothers, um, is kind of the treatment not by everybody, of course, in CUMH. There's always, you know, there's people who I think it really is their vocation. Um, but systemically, I think there's just kind of unnecessary traumas that we were also put through. Um, you know, some things, obviously, like some of your textures wrote in, some of it is natural and miscarriage is not something that is preventable at the early stages and things like that. But in our experience as well, um, CUMH's kind of protocols in these regards are lacking massively. And just like some examples, when our baby was born, so not to go into the long story, I suppose, but um, it was an emergency section in the end because of phase. Um, she wasn't coping very well with the induction process. Um, and when Faye was born, she let out a little cry, but it was quite obvious even to us who we were first-time parents, naive, we didn't know very much, but we knew that it wasn't right. Um, and she needed resuscitation straight away, so she was taken away from us straight away. Had but had you we known, were, just, just from the point of view of people listening to this, had yeah. you, was there something wrong that you were aware of during, um, you know, the, the pregnancy? No. So I had a very healthy pregnancy with right. Faye and Faye was a very healthy baby. Right. Um, yeah, she, she just, it really was just to do with the induction process primarily. Um, we... Yeah, I went in post-dates expecting to bring my beautiful baby home. We didn't know it was a girl. We found that out when she cried. I knew straight away by her cry it was a little girl. Um, and yeah, she was she was by all means perfect. She just didn't get enough oxygen during the induction process. Um, and they didn't act quickly enough in CUMH um, to, to say that they could, you know, that they'd done everything they could for her. They'd she should have been delivered sooner. Or, or, um, or did I did I read? I think maybe Kevin had said that it should have been a C section, or because you were, yeah, it should have been a section sooner, much much sooner. Um, and did it yeah. ultimately result in a C section? It did in an emergency section. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. yeah, they were kind of pushing for the natural delivery, I suppose, because I had reached eight centimeters, and even though her heart wasn't coping well, that. That was just somewhat ignored by the consultants up there. Um, yeah, which was, it, obviously, all of that is absolutely horrific. You know, just to think about that incompetence is is incredible. 
um, that they're looking at CTG traces that they don't even understand. But, you know, because it's so obvious when you look back that she wasn't coping well, but nobody did anything about it. Um, yeah, so then when she was born, she was taken straight away to to be kind of worked on. Um, and my husband and I were brought into the recovery room with all the other parents and their babies. So they're all here with their babies. And Kevin and I are here with no baby, like incredibly upset, um, having just gone through an operation um, and watching our, Kevin watched Faye being resuscitated and I was obviously very uncomfortable and everything. Um, and we were just put in with, with other parents staring at us with their newborn babies in their hands. Um, and just stuff like that is... I know. You know, when you think back, it's obviously quite traumatising to think back on that. Um, yeah, and still very upsetting to you, clearly. Very upsetting, you know, that there's no there's nowhere for a parent to be brought when something like that happens, you know, a private area. Um, and then the midwife came down from upstairs, you know, to bring us up to the ward, and she just rounded the corner and said, congratulations, and could see that obviously the two of us were incredibly upset with no baby with us. She hadn't been informed of what had happened. Um, and then she was, uh, thanks to God for her, because she was like, oh my God, what's the curtain doing open? Can you give these parents some privacy? So she closed the curtain so we didn't have to look at other parents and their babies, their newborn babies, you know, in a totally different position to us. I know. Um, no, it shouldn't be that way. Horrific, yeah. yeah. And that's and so that's, then we were brought, yeah, yeah. And that's sorry. that's in the COMH. But but clearly, Faye, Faye was rushed to Dublin, right? She yeah. So we spent um, most of that day in COMH. They were trying to figure out what what was going on for Faye, or kind of what what had happened. Um, so we were just we were brought up to the ward, um, brought in with again another lady and her baby and then one midwife was like this isn't this isn't right she needs her own room so at least she thought of that she brought us to a private room and I was kind of in and out of consciousness a bit because they had given me an awful lot of pain relief and my husband was just waiting and waiting and waiting to hear what what was going on for Faye and he kept going out to the desk and nobody was informing him. They were just saying somebody will come up from the neonatal team, somebody will come up. So Faye was born at 10 in the morning and at half two, I just say, I kind of started to come round and I said, Kev, I think we should just go down. Well, I obviously couldn't, but Kev, just go down and and just, ah, you know, don't wait for them anymore. Let's just take matters into our own hands. Mm. So Kevin went down and, um, yeah, they, they just said, look, we'll come up in, in a minute. <clears throat> so one of the consultants followed up and said, look, we think there's a problem with her heart, which there wasn't. It was all it was all to do with the lack of oxygen. Mm. But all the same, they, they rushed her to Cumlin that day. Um, and I followed up the next day after. They discharged me early after the section and I followed up. Um, the treatment up in Cumlin was like chalk and cheese. We... You know, we were looked after by everybody, even lactation consultants, everything. We really, you know, they really looked after they us. They thought and of everything, Faye, did they? 
they still send him a card on her anniversary. We never again heard really from CUMH except subsequent, excuse me, subsequent subsequent pregnancies. Um, but yeah, the, I suppose that's lovely. When the I went back, sells, it sends a card, isn't it? It's nice. Still sends a card every year, yeah, um, on her anniversary, and kind of kept linking in with us to see how we were doing. We never received anything like that. Were you? Did you travel also, and did Kevin travel to Crumlin? Yeah, Kevin followed Faye up um, straight away um, with his parents, and the following day I was just discharged. I followed up. We spent 10 days in Crumlin, and we really thought that she was pulling through, and we could see kind of some of her organs were recovering. But when they did the MRI, the, there was too much damage to the brain and that's irreversible. So unfortunately, um, we had to turn off life support for Faye. Um, yeah, and it was just, I can't even describe the, yeah, the trauma of that. Um, and the one guilt can, that you feel having to One can't even begin to, to imagine. Yeah. Oh, the guilt, you know, yes, I know, the guilt. Oh my God, the responsibility of doing it. Will I, yeah, won't I, yeah. should I or shouldn't I? Yeah. That took a long time to come to terms with, even though the writing was on the wall as such with her scans, that she would never have a quality of life. But still in all, it feels like it's your, like your, yeah, like it was your decision when it's not really. Um, <sighs> um, yeah. What, what, what did the post-mortem say? Yeah, so it was, yeah, extensive um, HIE, hypoxic, uh, ischemic injury. She just really was left without oxygen for a lengthy period, um, which wasn't really, yeah, the consultants didn't see it in CUMH. Um, Now, mostly we were dealing with a registrar, a, a junior doctor, as you call it, but... The consultant also kind of decided to restart the induction process, even though it was, you know, when you look back at the CTG trace now, it was very obvious that Faye wasn't coping well with, with that process. Um, and do you, do you dwell on the point that if there had been an earlier C-section, you wouldn't even be having this conversation with me? Yeah, massive. I suppose there's lots of different points along the way where you, you wish that... You know, you're you're naive and you're your own you're the only advocate for your child and for yourself. Um and when I hear messages, you know, saying that pe- people shouldn't talk about it, I think the the absolute opposite because people need to be informed if you want to be an advocate, you know. Um you you put all your trust in these professionals' hands, your trust, your baby's life. <laughs> Yeah. And they shouldn't be taking chances with children's lives like that. And were you a first-time mum? I was. Faye was my first little baby, yeah. Um, yeah. So you really so we are. Were, you're, you're flying blind, really, aren't you? You're, you're really relying on Absolutely blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're totally, totally at their mercy. And your baby's at their mercy. Um, and you don't expect for one second that, you know, I know, obviously, like I say, miscarriage can be a natural thing um, and you know there's natural things that can happen to babies and it's really really unfortunate and that's not to take away from anybody's grief whatsoever but when you go in with a full term baby 
healthy in the womb. Yeah, you never, yeah. ever, ever think that you're not coming home with that baby. Yeah, as I say, healthy you know. in, in the room, in the womb. Um, and obviously, the grieving process is just overwhelming. Um, but but you also have yeah. to deal with the the inquest. Yeah. So the inquest was only recently. It was only this year. So we we had to wait nearly four years for an inquest. Um, which in itself is is awful, isn't it? Um, so slow. Yeah, and then we didn't receive any real assistance in the grieving process. So at one stage we did meet with a social worker in the hospital, and I, you know, that I didn't find that very beneficial. Beneficial, if I'm honest, I did ask her would I be referred to a counsellor, and she said that if I met with her a few times, I they'd see from there which I thought was bizarre. Um, Absolutely bizarre, because even at me, yeah. as a listening ear to the story you're telling, I, I would think that you are absolutely a candidate for immediate um, or soon after the event counselling. Yeah, and not only that, outside of CUMH, I sought counselling from um, a, a counsellor who was kind of recommended to me, um, and I tried to make contact with them and they said they wouldn't meet me because they were friendly with my consultant in the hospital. Um, but that's they understa- don't work that, in the hospital. Yeah, no, but that, that's, that's understandable. You know, they wouldn't be able to look at it from a rational point of view, um, perhaps I because of that, you know. Yeah, I didn't have any grievance against my consultant as such. Okay. It was another consultant that was there that and, morning. And what did... What did the inquest rule? Um, so it was misadventure, but it, um, yeah, we, sorry, what we wanted misadventure. Um, it, it didn't, it, I don't even, what is the terminology? I'm not sure, but it's, yeah, basically that. It was, it was called a narrative verdict. You, sorry, yeah, you were of the belief yeah. that it should have been medical mi- misadventure. It was ruled as yeah. a narrative verdict. And to be honest with you, I don't really understand what a narrative verdict is. Um, but the coroner did want to make recommendations and said she would be writing to the hospitals and um, to make sure that they didn't want this to happen to anyone else. That, that That's my yeah. kind of limited interpretation of it. Was was that enough? Well, it was something. Um, you know, I, you spoke about cancelling. They did, um, they did say to us that that's not something that's ordinarily recommended by the coroners. Um, that, yeah. So it was something. Um, it's not... We felt it should have been misadventure. Um we did feel that the rating was on the wall, Faye wasn't coping well, mm. and yet they persisted with the induction process. Mm. Um, when the consultant that was there that morning, when he was asked, um, you know, did he feel that her heart, like without going into the terminology, did he feel that she was coping well? He knew she wasn't. Um, so it just... It boggles the brain, really, to think that there's that incompetence going on there, you know. Um, part of what was said afterwards was that, and this was on behalf of you through your legal representative, that improvements can be made, should be mm-hmm. made, to ensure better care in our maternity hospitals. Um, the COH committed to review guidelines regarding induction of labour, um, the importance of clinical handovers being accurate, 
um, and that lessons would be learned from phase unavoidable, phase avoidable, uh, and tragic death. Um, yeah. Uh, so, if 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 nothing else, do you think that perhaps lessons have been learned, although too late for you? Yeah, I'm. I suppose I can't necessarily answer that, but I'm currently <laughs> towards the end of my pregnancy. Um, and there are still things that I just cannot kind of comprehend. I I don't necessarily. I'm under the care of a certain consultant. I've I never meet that consultant. Um, I'm due for a cesarean section soon, and I have to request that the consultant who kind of persisted with the induction process. I have to I had to ask that he not be. Mm the person performing the section. You're worried, just, you're fearful now because of it, yeah. Yeah, and I constantly have to see that consultant up there and I just, you, you know, I find it very hard to trust anybody up there and that's just not the way that it should it be, you be. know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's understandable that you would be very reticent and very worried having been through what you've been through. Yeah. Awfully, but however, we all wish you, um, you know, uh, I know you're very much along now, but um, an uncomplicated and a happy birth um, and, uh, and, a, and a healthy baby. Yeah. Thanks for taking the call, I, Christina. I just want to sympathise with those women again. This is not you're a so road that I would like to meet anybody on. Yeah, I know. I know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Mind yourself and, and regards to Kevin. Uh, text 0868 Gillian, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm sorry I held you so long there. It's just trying to navigate through different calls so thank you for holding um, your own no thoughts your own thoughts Ashley's actually a very good friend of mine so I was there through Ashley's loss to Ashley those that came late, late to the programme it was Ashley who started this conversation with her mother Melissa regarding uh, her own miscarriage and the horrific uh, circumstances she found herself in you're a pal of hers right I am and Ashley was there through my traumatic birth as well um, I was up and down to any, like I'm a high risk pregnancy anyway because I have a, it's called uterus didelphus so it's basically I have two uteruses and two separate cervix. Right. So I was, a high, I was a high risk pregnancy um, this was my third pregnancy and it was horrific like the whole pregnancy I was vomiting from start to finish um, the care through my pregnancy was okay but it was towards the end. They knew from my previous pregnancies that anywhere between 37 weeks that my babies could come out because of my wombs. It's a smaller womb, so my babies will come early. Mm. So I was up and down for two weeks to A&E because I was, I was leaking and I knew that it was my waters because I knew like there was a different smell off it. So I was up and down and they kept saying, no, Gillian, it's not, it's actually urine, you're leaking, you know? Mm. So I was like, okay. So every time I was up there, they were like, look, go home. If it gets worse, come back up. So I was up and down for two weeks. They kept saying it's made. Then they offered me to stay in so they could check my blood pressure, even though that wasn't even the issue. I had no issues with my blood pressure, you know. Yeah, but you wouldn't so necessarily I, know that. Blood pressure is a major issue during pregnancy. So Yeah, it is. Know. But I had a blood pressure machine and stuff at home as well. Like, you know, so like I knew there was nothing wrong with it. My issue was I had so much pressure pains and I was leaking, like, mm. you know. All right. So I went up on the 23rd of May and I just stayed there. I said, I'm not leaving. I know it's my waters. And there was a head doctor came in and he said, oh yeah, it actually is your waters that you're leaking with two weeks. 
So You think you, there would be a test to tell what would be uh, fluid or urine, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Like every time I went up within the two weeks of A&E, they kept saying, oh, there's plenty fluid around the baby. It's not your waters. But it was. So they rushed me down to... You don't know ward. whether it was junior doctors or, um, you know... People being trained. It was a senior doctor. It was a senior doctor. Yeah, that every time I went up, there was a senior doctor. Okay, I'm just I'm just referencing some calls from earlier on this morning where it was junior doctors. Yeah, yeah. I actually went in through ambulance as well one time within that two weeks, and they still sent me home. So when was there the rush to the labour ward then? The twenty the twenty third of May, I was rushed down to the labour ward at twelve o'clock, and they put me on a contraction grip. Now, I had a contraction drip on my first child, so I knew that it was going to be very painful. They gave me gas and air, like, and I knew by the gas and air it wasn't turned on. It was doing absolutely nothing for me. I had two previous pregnancies, two births previous. I know what gas and air is, you know. They offered me petadine, which I obviously, I took it, but it did nothing for me. Four o'clock came, and she told me that there's actually water stuck behind your baby's head. But had you said to them that the gas and air is turned off? Yeah, I had. I said it to them so many times they didn't take any notice what I was saying to them. And um, did they eventually turn it on or was it turned off? It was turned off. It was never turned on. They, they literally took it off me when I was starting to push my baby out. Right. So, okay. yeah. Sure. So four o'clock came, they broke my waters which again was the most traumatic pain that I've ever went through because of the pressure pains that I was having. And I have multiple cirrhosis as well. So they knew the pain, like my pain. So they broke my waters and I was still left there for two hours and 39 minutes and baby Cleaver was born at 6.39am. Healthy? She's healthy baby, but I experienced an awful bleed after having baby Cleaver. And with the gas and air and the petadine didn't work, you're saying, but the gas and air would have helped with pain? Well, it helped me with my last two pregnancies and births with pain. And you would know if that was on, would you? Yeah, I, I would know because, like, I always get sick after it, so I would always vomit after it. And I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I knew it wasn't turned on. You'd hear it if it was turned on. I didn't hear nothing. Okay, but d- d- during all of that event, traumatic and painful as it was, d- did you feel that everybody who was doing their job was in control of what they were doing and were on top of their game and everything and, and fully scoped up no, to it? No, because like they sat there just monitoring her heartbeat and stuff on the computer. Like They literally didn't care what, I, what, what pain I was in. They only cared about what baby, you know, her heartbeat and stuff. I was left there for two, two hours and 39 minutes. In, in the sense that it should have been both pain. of you, not just the baby, but you as well. Yeah, you know, like my partner wasn't with me when I went to a so I had to ring him to come up to a in the middle of the night because baby was coming, like. So because of this trauma, and thankfully, Quiva is healthy and a fine young little girl... How how old yes. is she now? How long ago was this? She's four months now. Four months is all. So it's only some months back. Okay. Yeah. But even after four months, you have made a decision that you n- never want to get pregnant again and want your tubes removed as a consequence. Yeah, like I have, obviously I have an underlying condition, multiple cirrhosis, and with my two wounds as well, you know. It, like I'm a high risk, so I, I just said... No, this is it. I'm done. I can't have any more kids. I can't even risk getting pregnant again. 
I got PTSD after having Quiva because of her birth. So I can't risk that again, you know. And they are they are going to remove my tubes, but it's just when. Mm. I suppose I'll have to wait on a list. Like uh, all of the conversations this morning and the dozens and dozens and dozens of texts. Now, some of them are, you know, quite complimentary and let, let's acknowledge that, you know. Um, yeah. but, but an awful lot of them this morning say that things could be done an awful lot better. Yeah. Like, I, I never again want to see the COMH. I think they don't, they don't treat their patients the way they should. After I had Quiva, I told every midwife that was in the ward that came into me because I had to stay in for two days after having Quiva because both of us could have got septus from my waters leaking. And so what, remark did you pa- what remark did you pass to the uh, I I told midwives. the midwife that I had the most traumatic birth. It was horrible and I cried for the two days I was up there. But you would think, you know, that someone would come in and sit down and say, are you okay, Gillian? Yeah. Do you want, do you want a chat? Yeah. There's no, there's no aftercare there. There's absolutely none. And do you think by people sharing stories like this that things might improve? I would hope so. But again, with the government we have at the moment, I don't know. But why would it be (laughs) governmental? Is it that there's a lack of staff or is it training or is it just just the the attitude of... Like, I don't know. A lot of of them up there are nice. They're lovely people. The people that scan you, I think they're all really nice people. It's down in the labour ward. I don't know. Do they need to be trained again? I don't know. They need to look after man as well as baby. Don't just think of baby think of the man like the man is going through all this you know okay thank you for sharing your story as well Gillian um, I appreciate you taking the call and if, 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 if it's any consolation to you there are many other stories but at least in your case I know you have PTSD and that's awful you know dread, terrible trauma yeah. but, but but Quiva is healthy you know and uh, you have a little baby yeah. girl that you can look at and say hopefully it was worth the pain you know yeah, oh, she'll always be worth the pain, but yeah. I'll never forget it. I know, I know. Okay. Look after yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Not Text 0868 um, You can email Neil at uh, redfm.ie. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. My apologies to all those that were due on air this morning on different topics. I do hope to return to all of them. Uh, but just stay with some texts at the moment. I was 10 weeks when I had a scan in the CUMH. I was told that there was no movement and that I had mis- missed miscarriage I had a missed miscarriage when the baby was the, was the size of six weeks. I was asked to come back in a week later to make sure I was left in tears and basically shoved out the door and directed to the left side side as people were waiting on the right-hand side. Two days later, I miscarried at home. I was in dire pain. I called the CMH and asked if I should go in. I really didn't know what to do. Would you believe I was told to take Panadol, but I can come in if I want. 30 minutes later, it passed. I also brought my baby in a Chinese carton, just like your other caller this morning. Can you imagine that? Um, it's hard to imagine, but people are telling me factual stories, so I have to uh, imagine. That poor girl, and I think um, Ginny is talking about Ashley, who started our programme this morning, could have died at home. The, so, the whole COH campus 
needs a severe audit, says Ginny. It's got to be very upsetting for those within our health network that do a very good job and uh, have very, very positive and happy results in all different aspects of healthcare, including um, maternity. It's got to be upsetting, but I think the stories still need to be heard. I miscarried in 1998, and I remember after my miscarriage, they put me in a room alongside other mothers who had successful deliveries. Seeing all those happy, excited faces after what I went through is something I will never forget. It still lives with me. I don't know if anybody has said this morning, um, and I'm open to you guys letting me know, uh, those that are listening to me this morning, has, has, that, has that changed now, that you wouldn't be recovering from a miscarriage in the CUMH alongside in a ward with other happy mothers who have had successful and healthy babies? Has that changed or does it still remain the same? Uh, perhaps somebody might enlighten me on that. Um, let me just talk to Aoife for what limited time I have left this morning. Aoife, good morning. Hi, how are you? Uh, you've been listening to this morning uh, and you texted. Yeah. You're saying your heart went out for the stories you've heard. But how was your treatment? Um, in January this year, I found out I was pregnant and I contacted my GP. And I also had to coil in like fully placed so she is that possible that she, forgive me do, uh, can that happen less than one percent of people it happens to is what i was told okay and it was in so, the right place and secured or yeah, was, yeah, it was secure in the right place for two and a half years i had it in and i had another one previously before that with no issues um and were you surprised so then when how, how did you find out you were pregnant um i wasn't feeling well for a few weeks and i was putting it down to just stress different night shifts and different shifts and work over Christmas and then it just dawned me I said I'll just take one for peace of mind my breasts were very tender and sore and I felt very nauseous and I said hardly just I was just pure anxiety I said I'll just take a pregnancy test just in case and straight away it came up positive and what was your reaction to the positive um shocked I think I just went straight to sleep after I saw it which I was more shocked with because I think I I was just Complete shock, complete shock. So I went to work the following day and I just went out then and called my GP and my GP informed me to take a clear blue pregnancy test and to see how far I was gone. And she had no concerns that I had the coil fully in place. So that relieves me. I went after work to get a clear blue pregnancy test, which said two to three weeks pregnant. And then I, what was it? Then I told my sister... And she said, you can't be. I didn't realise that even when I told her that I was a bit delusional because I had a fever. And in the end, my sister and my friend ended up bringing Southock for me because they were concerned. And Southock then said, you have to go straight to CUMH, that you were at risk of your tubes bursting or it could be topic. And I, I just, I was in the whole complete daze with everything. I think I just didn't want to believe it was real. It was happening to me. <laughs> Um, so straight up to CUMH I went with my friend and seeing straight away within seconds as soon as I walked in the door they did my blood the nurse I got she was um, she was just asking questions like oh where's your partner which was the first person I met then during all this I wanted to know if I had a partner which I did and did I they want your partner to be there is it no just uh, I felt I was being judged did you did you really feel that yeah, no, I did. Are you I sure it wasn't? Said, where's your partner? As in, is he here no, in the she, building? She knew my friend was out in the waiting room with me. Um, I was in 20, I'm only 26. So uh, she, I, I explained to her then to change the subject with the nurse because I felt she was rude. 
I just explained my stomach was very tender and she said, of course, that's going to happen. You're pregnant, your stomach stretches, she said to me and left. Right, rather matter-of-fact, I have to say, yeah. Yeah, I went out to the waiting room. Now I'm a healthcare assistant myself of seven years. I've worked in hospitals. I know, like, the hospital settings, the way it's run and stuff. And I went out to the waiting room and I just ignored that comment. And then two and a half hours later, they brought me back in. They actually cleared out the A&E, which I found strange. And I met, like, the top consultants up there. It was, they were all in shock. They were all interested how someone could have a coil fully in place and be five weeks along. And I had no symptoms down below, like bleeding, nothing, to say I was miscarrying or anything like that. And they did a few checks, normal checks, and after one check, then I just bled heavily. So they admitted me. Was the coil removed? No, they left the coil in. Okay. After doing the checks. And then they admitted me. They gave me a room to myself with five beds. I was across from the nurse's station, so I knew that I was on high risk of something, even though they didn't tell me. And I was given buscapan and Panadol for the pain, which was ridiculous. But they didn't know if I was miscarrying or not, is what they said. So then the next day, they said they had to call someone in to do the scan, the internal scan, so it was a Saturday. And um, the doctor came in and asked me, was it okay to take a student doctor with her? I said, of course, it's no hassle. And went down for the scan. I've never been in a scan room. They had all the screens turned off because they didn't know if they were going to see anything, they said. And I was like, okay. The pain of the scan was excruciating with the coil still in place. And I had to put my hands under my bottom to stop trying to hit them from seeing what was there. And... Student doctor was told apparently before going in not to tell me if there was something there, and she did say it. So I didn't mind, but the doctor actually tapped her on the shoulder in front of me to keep her mouth shut. Is what I got. Like the um, so after the scan, the doctor did come back into me and she said, "Look, it's your choice. You can keep the coil in if you want, but I would advise you to take it out." And I said, "No, obviously it needs to come out. I'm in pain," and. Um, she removed it then and then after that then I fell asleep for three hours in the hospital bed and I woke up I was less foggy my breasts weren't tender anymore and I was bleeding a lot heavier and then they said they just want to do another set of bloods to see if it's a confirmed miscarriage or if it's a topic they didn't know really to be honest and I was like okay perfect so I went for another scan on Sunday just to see was everything kind of getting, I don't even know myself, just moving along. And basically, they turned around to me then and said, there's twins. And I said, what? I said, no, I don't have twins in my family. And I didn't know how that worked myself even, you know. And I said, no, it couldn't be. And they said, no, there's two, there's two sacks. One's outside your tube and one is near your tube. So then I started going down the Google rabbit hole in the hospital bed because I didn't know what the hell was going on. And then they said they do another set of bloods that night. And on the Monday morning, they confirmed that it was a miscarriage. And I said, of twins or of one? And they said, oh, no, sorry, it wasn't twins. It was a cyst on your ovary. Okay. So did you miscarry at home or in the hospital? So I, I was told that I was miscarrying in the hospital. So that was on the Monday morning and I was bleeding heavily. I had the tray in the bathroom for them to take samples of um, for infection. And... On the Tuesday, they discharged me and said I could be an outpatient for two weeks, but that I have miscarried. 
that you had miscarried already. Yeah. But you so hadn't. I, I wasn't sure. I thought I miscarried because I've never seen all that myself. Okay. And then I went home for that week and then a week later at home I woke up in sweat, palpitations, spasms and I naturally miscarried at home. And you're sure it was a miscarriage? Yes, 100% because I panicked. I, I ended up, I was on the toilet like the other lady and it was a similar thing, yeah. And how did they miss, um, how did they miss that in the hospital? They didn't, um, in the sense that they didn't want to tell me much information. It was like they were fe- like afraid to talk to me as well, or they, like you know, in case you. But said I thought you said that they that they that you had miscarried in the hospital. They had like I, that's what I picked up from them that I I've already miscarried his past. Like they checked me, and you kind of know that yeah. because if you hadn't, they would yeah. send you home and tell you to prepare for it. Yeah, well, but um, it, after the whole hospital hospital visit. I was offered breathing and loss support and I actually asked for mental health support because I just felt it was such a traumatic experience to go through. And I had loads of like, different doctors calling into me going, oh my God, it only happens to less than 1% of people. You're the first case we had here. And I was like, what the, like what? Well, yeah, you don't and, care about any of that. No, and I just knew then that they were nearly like, you know, that's their career, that's what they're interested in, but this is so rare. Like, I just felt like a guinea pig. Mm. Mm. And... Like I asked for pain relief and stuff. We can't give that to you because they were treating me like a pregnant lady. But then they said I was miscarrying. It was very back and forth. Um, but in the end, I asked for mental health support. And they were like, okay, perfect. We'll put you in for that referral. I said, thank you. And after being two weeks out of the hospital, I rang the mental health team in COH. And I said, um, hi, I'm just ringing there to inquire. I was in hospital recently with you. I said, is there any updates or any help or support for me? And they said... Oh, we have here that you were asleep in bed. Seek um, medical, no, seek GP advice. So there was nothing on your records to say that there would be some kind of counselling? No, no. And you were very specific about that request, but it wasn't entered into your records. And how are you now? This is 10 months later. 10 months later, not too bad, but I will say there is no support out there for anyone that's struggling or going through this. It seems to be the evidence this morning that there certainly is a lot of room for improvement. No, I did go through, um, I was trying to find counselling myself then online. Um, my options, I must say, the midwives on my options online, they do one-on-one phone counselling. I did that for five weeks. Did it help? No, not for me, unfortunately, but it might help others. Um, so for me, it worked out like once a week I was fine, but I ended up communicating about my week that I just had instead of talking about what I went through. Do you think that Um, some of your trauma and some of your grief is, okay, it's certainly grounded in the treatment and what you went through and everything else, but do you think it's also mourning the loss, I wonder? Could be. No, I'm just just curious. Yeah, no, it could be. No, it's just so rare as well. Like, there's no one else that I know of that went through this. No. Be anybody there with you right now? No. Because you're upset. Will you be all right? Oh, no, I'm fine. Um, but, like, listening to the stories there today just made me feel like I wasn't alone. No, you're not. And I hope that's some consolation to you. But um, I did go, end up going to a solicitor um, to get a letter done up for the HSC to send me out everything that happened. Mm. Because I asked him for copies of the scans just to show my partner because he wasn't in the hospital with me. And... They said that they couldn't give me copies of that. 
I had no paperwork leaving the hospital even to say I was staying there. So you haven't received any of that request? No, I did. I got it in July and I got you, a big, huge... You got it when your paperwork. solicitor intervened. I'm glad for that because yeah. it's important to you. Yeah. Um, okay. I also got asked in the hospital from a midwife, was there anything I've done differently this the past few months for me to cause the coil to shift? And I never in my life thought that that would be a question I would get asked. And I turned around to her and I said, are you serious? And then I went back on my calendar because I would be good for documenting little things. And I actually got my first smear test in October last year. So that would line up with um, the coil. Maybe just, it was a small bit low in my cervix, they said, when they removed it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, that may have upset you, but maybe they're, they're the kind of medical questions that, that need to be asked. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, um, CUMH, when I said the smear test, they said, oh, no, that wouldn't cause that. But they, right. they didn't want to acknowledge yeah. it either. Okay. Okay. Um, I hope it hasn't overly upset you sharing again no, this no, morning. No. But thank you so much for taking the time. I wish you the best. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Take care of yourself. Bye, Aoife. Bye, bye. Irish Hospice Service of a Bereavement Support Line on 1 800 80 70 77. Uh, 10 a.m. in the morning to 1 o'clock, Monday to Friday, if anybody is upset or feels that they need to reach out. And Felicon have a helpline as well. They provide befriending service and support helpline, safe and confidential setting for those going through bereavement through stillbirth or neonatal death, and a very good organization. They're on 085 249 6464. Uh, for those that I didn't get to this morning, I hope I have an opportunity to chat with you tomorrow and also deal with more emails and texts. But I'm out of time for now. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.